Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sikkim365.com. Donovan Edwards, who scored the touchdown in the first possession, back in the game, and he's loose again. Edwards off and running. Welcome back, Donovan Edwards. 46 yards. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Wolverines loaded with weapons in the run game. They go after their 1,000-yard rusher, and now it's Corham is loose. Blake Corham down the sidelines. they got an angle. He cuts it back and finally is brought down at the 20. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Penix has time, watches, touchdown! Jalen McMillan, there is a flag down. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. It's a very crafty play calls down here. Instead, they just hang it this time with Cora. Sets back, breaks a tackle, touchdown Michigan. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Penix. Looks the other direction down a save. It's intercepted by Sandersill. Mikey Sandersill has a couple of blockers. A convoy. Michigan. Set up inside the 10. Mikey Sandersill. Biggest play of this defense tonight. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. 
Well, here we go. It's the day after Nick Saban announced his retirement as the football coach at Alabama. We'll have reaction from a couple of coaches, Phil Bennett, also uh, Tim Brando, Fox Sports, former Alabama, played high school ball here in Waco at Midway, and Matthew Barnhill will join us today. And Pat Smith, Craig mentioned yesterday, last night in a, a text about an emergency-type show that he and uh, Cole Kublik had on WJOX in Birmingham. He'll join us here in 20 minutes. Also, Max Olson and a lot of different news and notes, Transfer Portal, NFL Draft, and so much more. We'll also have a clip from his interview today with Reese Davis. We'll play here momentarily. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, I'm David Smoke. Thank you for your time today on 365 Sports. So Nick Saban retires, and we have been, Craig, you and I drove by, the family drove by, uh, obviously, Bryant-Denny Stadium, and they have those statues of Paul Bear Bryant, among others, outside of the stadium, like other stadiums might have. Here's the one with Nick Saban. It's as if he passed away. It's been a tough day, I'm sure, the last few hours in Tuscaloosa, but Nick Saban has this shrine around his statue. That's from uh, by Mike Wilson from earlier today with a lot of, I guess, memorabilia and thank you and a couple of cans of beer, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've been there myself. I uh, went to the, uh, again, A&M got to absolutely uh, eaten alive by Nick Saban. Uh, like, I, I really think I saw as I was walking out blood running from his mouth. Uh, they got beaten so bad. But he was, but it was, it was, it's such an unbelievable place. But yeah, it is a little strange that you would do all that stuff because he's still alive. You're still going to see him around. He's going to be involved with the program. He's there today. Yeah, he's there helping him out. You know, I don't think he's going to put a little mini statue of himself in the coach's office like Barry Alvarez did at Wisconsin. But, uh, yeah, he'll be around. And I'm sure there's still going to be a Nick Saban football camp and, and other things that, that go on. So you can still see him and enjoy, enjoy it while you can. But, yeah, it's got to be really rough to – I mean, this is – this is not your normal coach retiring either. This is the greatest coach retiring. Yeah, guys, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, a very passionate fan base, and it is goofy to treat this like somebody died, but I think in Alabama fans' term, that's basically what it feels like. I mean, the greatest coach of all time is retired after six national championships at a school that wants nothing more. They don't care about anything as much as they care about football national titles, and here's the guy who did it better than anybody's ever done it before, and he's abruptly announcing his retirement, not with major signs that it was going to happen, not with a bunch of forewarning, only the idea in everybody's mind of like, hey, he's getting older, and this is getting more crazy as a sport every single day, wins enough, enough, and a guy just want to go off into retirement with the resume that he has, and uh, it just so happens that it happened when nobody was really expecting it, other than those who thought maybe at some point this offseason it might occur, but just Wednesday, January 10th, nobody had that pegged as a date that that was going to happen. So when that news dropped, it shocked everybody. Uh, just that that fact that it had happened. And then once you dove into it, it got to be more understandable. And, and I think everybody's just coming to terms with it. And I think that's how an Alabama fan comes to terms. And don't get me wrong. I think it's silly. I think it's it's funny to treat this like it's, you know, the the uh, the shrine of, you know, uh, John Lennon after he got, he got assassinated in New York, you know, something along those lines. But at the same time, that's grieving. That's yep. what that is. That's yep. grieving by people who are very sad because the only coach that probably most of the people who place those flowers have ever known or 
grown men, and we know how Alabama folks are who, like, have known others but have never probably loved a coach as much as they love Nick Saban. This, they've, they've, he's gone. I mean, he's he's gone not for good, but he's gone as far as being on that sideline uh, for them. I know he's going to stick around Alabama in some capacity. I would imagine there's good money on him being on college game day uh, here in the very near future. That seems like a layup. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it is kind of like somebody – uh, or something died uh, for Alabama football yesterday with that announcement. So, yeah, that's that's their grieving process. I wouldn't go that to that extreme, but I'm also not road hide like some of yeah. those folks are. You know, I think I might have felt the same way when Osborne announced his. Bobby Bowden, of course, at Florida State, his time had come too. All right, so who's going to be the next head coach at Alabama? It will not be Dan Lanning. Oregon's Dan Lanning. There's a video. We can't show the video, but had a video up of a team meeting uh, what he was saying, it was really well done. It was baller video, kind of like a player committing to a school. There's the Oregon, Eugene, the dot, and Dan Landon at the end of the video smoking a cigar and talking about how sometimes the grass is not greener on the other side and the grass in Eugene is very good. So his name is out of the mix. It depends on who you talk to about Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian. It depends on what particular, I, I guess you say, which odds you look at. Sarkeesian, of course, would be a smart, at least, discussion. Whether or not he does it, I don't know. Uh, That's another one. Uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State picked up a transfer today and said it was a big day to be a part of Seminole Nation. Look, here it is. Here's the commit. Terrence Ferguson, he's an offensive lineman from Alabama. Uh, one, and then here is Mike Norvell's tweet following that up. Great day to be a Florida State Seminole. Hashtag big man coming to the Noel family. And Tribe 24, future is bright in Tallahassee. Hashtag keep climbing. So yep, I hope that means that he's staying, but... You never know. But, but if, if that's just a tweet because that's what today is, and then we find out later he's going there, you guys will get to see me uh, chug three beers on the air because... Uh, I, I really don't know what Florida State would do after that. So Well, there we are with that. So, Lanning, no, not sure about Norvell. Craig, any update on the others? No, I just want to talk about Dan Lanning. I yeah. mean, that's a massive deal. That's, a, that's the number one candidate that's sitting there on everybody's odds boards list. And um, for him to make that announcement for Oregon is a massive deal for the Ducks. Um, and to do it in the style that he did, he took full advantage of the fact that all eyes were on Dan Lanning and Eugene Oregon. And he took... Uh, that opportunity to sit there and give the program the greatest bump and seal of approval and promotion that you possibly could with everybody watching his next move. And uh, I think that's an awesome thing for Oregon. It's obviously a blow for Alabama. You still feel like you're going to be fine in the long run. I think Kalen DeBoer becomes the favorite based on just the reading of the tea leaves at this point because he has not made a move like Lanning has. Sark's in a position where it's not exactly a – great step up necessarily and I know Washington was just in the college football playoff final but just resources wise even with the move to the Big Ten Texas is just on a little bit of a a higher level just not trying to split hairs too much here but I think we all uh, can agree on that and so Sark's just sort of there not ruled out but also not it seems like on the front burner who knows what's going on behind the scenes but because of that job that he already has I think that's why Kalen DeBoer becomes the guy that people are eyeing and then you have Mike Norvell's tweet which leads people to believe that okay well that should mean he's staying so then therefore more eyes go on DeBoer so at some point you think he's going to have to come out with his own little video or this thing's just going to keep dragging on and keep in mind he's had a contract extension sitting on his desk for how long now yeah it's been a while how long's he had that contract that he has not signed to remain there for the foreseeable future 
So that's been out there before the Saban stuff and is unresolved still at this point. So that's a, a big question mark as well when it comes to Washington. But for Oregon, the best day possible. I mean, the guy who now you can basically market as the number one target for Alabama if you want to can sit there and tell every recruit, Alabama came to me the moment after Nick Saban retired, and I turned them down. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do that to stay here at Oregon, and they played it perfectly with the social media team. And, uh, yeah, they'll get some traction off that, and uh, that's great news for the Ducks as they head off into the Big Ten because what a mess that would have been had he decided to uproot and, and go back. But he does seem like a guy that truly likes it there, and I think he's done this now a couple of times. So when he says... I'm going to be around Eugene. I know you never believe a coach entirely, but he's about as much as take it to the bank as you can that a guy's going to be sticking around because he's gone all in now twice mm -hmm. with uh, the fact that Eugene's where he wants to be and family loves it there, and that's where he wants his kids to grow up and this and that. So, yeah, that's a big name now scratched off. That $20 million buyout, I mean, even with Alabama's – bankrolls, that's a lot of money to spend on just a simple buyout when you can sit there and go, all right, 22 starters, that's an extra million nearly we can give them a piece versus uh, go just buy out a guy to talk to him and, and bring him in here plus the contract, plus the staff contracts, plus more NIL. No, let's save that $20 million just for a conversation, basically, and mm. uh, use that to pay all the guys who might be leaving now or the recruits that may be looking on the other side of the fence now that Saban's gone. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something they just probably couldn't overcome or just his desire to stay there regardless. Big win for the Ducks. It is a huge win for Dan Lanning, who said he was tired of moving around. And he then confirmed that, validated that with today's decision. I'm sure when he said that before, A&M and others were looking at him, he did not realize the job at Alabama would open. So why did Nick Saban decide now was the time. Paul peeled off about a minute, 45 seconds. And I love what he says here because coaches can tell you one thing and also do another. And especially when it comes to whether they're staying or will stay, etc. But here's Nick Saban with ESPN's Reese Davis on why right now. Why did you decide that this was the right time to retire? No, I don't think there's any good time, especially when you're a coach, because once you're a coach, you think you're going to be a coach forever but I actually thought that uh, in hiring coaches uh, recruiting players uh, that my age started to become a little bit of an issue people wanted uh, assurances that I would be here for three years five years whatever and that got harder and harder for me to be honest about and to be honest this last season uh, was grueling uh, it was a real grind uh, for us to come from where we started to where we got to uh, took a little little more out of me than usual and you know when people mentioned the health issue it was really just the grind of can you do this the way you want to do it can you do it the way you've always done it and be able to sustain it and do it for the entire season and if I couldn't make a commitment to do that in the future uh, the way I, I think I have to do it um, I thought maybe this was the right time based on those two sets of circumstances uh, that um, like I said, there's never a good time, uh, but I thought maybe this was the right time. So there's no there's no illness. It's just the grind and the gruel of the season. Yeah, there's no illness. Miss Terry's fine. I'm fine. Um, but it was the can you sustain the season? You know, from just a, a mental grind standpoint. Um, and I, you know, when I was young, you know, I could work till two in the morning, get up at six, and 
be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it. But when you get a little older, that gets a little tougher, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. All right, so there's Nick Saban from uh, the GOAT himself on Why Now? And I, I appreciate what he said, that the, his age and how long he's going to be there. Can he commit the kids that are going to be there four or five years? I spoke with Lindell football coach Chris Cochran. His offensive lineman, Casey Poe, signed with Alabama. He said that he'll sit down with Casey in the next day or two once and whenever Alabama names the next head coach. He's a lifelong Bama fan. Uh, but said obviously he was surprised by this, and there's a lot of players that are trying to figure out what Bama will do first before they decide what they're going to do. But still playing for Alabama, regardless of the coach, is playing for Alabama. Now, um, yeah, he did. A, he had an article that I read uh, not too long ago where he was talking about, and I wish I would have bookmarked it, but he was talking about the grind, like he was just referring to, but he was going more in-depth on it, and he was talking about like all of the different the recruiting timelines and the NIL portion and the – this and the that, and I remember reading at the time, just going like, "How much longer is he going to do this?" With no idea that like a month later he might be retiring, but it might have been on the athletic or something. Um, and it just it screamed like, "Just enough's enough!" Like this, <laughs> I just I'm tired. I just want to sort of enjoy parts of this, but not all of it, you know. And so I think that he's gonna have a nice office at Alabama where he can drop in when he wants to and be an analyst or an advisor, special advisor, and. Uh, I do think that all signs point to him being on college game day, right? I mean, that's that seems to be like as much of a of a sure thing you would think uh, media wise as as uh, would be out there for him. But yeah, uh, that's a simple enough explanation. I'm glad to hear it's not a health issue. I know a lot of people just immediately jump to that conclusion because he's older or his wife, you know, possibly had something, and that's kind of reckless to just throw out there. But it's understandable when you're talking about the ages we are. But it's great to hear that that's not the case, and uh, the only health issue is just to being tired, which he's been coaching a really long time at a very high level, coaching more games than most, recruiting you know the highest level of players for a couple decades now at this point. Longer than that, actually. Much longer than that, but just at Alabama. So, yeah, I, I totally buy, hey, I'm just older and tired, and I'm tired of this rat race, and I just want to be a part of it but not uh, take a bite out of the whole thing any longer. All right, so other college football notes, and we'll kind of keep up with anything else that's out there. And, of course, the chat room doing a great job of – Keeping up with who have the the best odds right now. Is it Norvell? Is it Lane Kiffin? Is it DeBoer? Who that might be. Quinn Ewers, no surprise here. He's coming back. And because of this, you would obviously, in some of what he said in his video on Instagram, referring to coming back to Texas, but also you would think that that also was a conversation with Steve Sarkeesian, that he would be back when Ewers comes back for yet another year. So Texas, their quarterback room is just fine and now Quinn Ewers comes back for yet one more year, at least after getting so close this year. Yeah, it, that's not a surprise. I mean, look, they've lost a lot of dudes, but Quinn Ewers is not going to be one of them. And he does. Like, if you look at, you know, he's on the rise, that's for sure. But he, he still hasn't, like, quite strung together, like, like seven, eight, nine games in a row, like, where he's just been the dominant factor. So I, I think that's probably coming. I really do. I think that he's getting – he's gotten so much better over these last couple of years as the starter at Texas that this next year should be should be pretty special, uh, and he's going to be able to elevate the players around him. But he just – he's he's 
he's there. I mean, he's right there at one of the elite quarterbacks. But another year is going to help him tremendously because when you look at the quarterbacks next year, Carson Beck, Quinn Ewers, Shadur Sanders, I do think will be the top three uh, going into the season, coming out for the for the NFL, I don't think that will change much as the season goes on. Um, you know, there's always going to be somebody who pops up later on as a bit of a wild card, but he could be a top five pick next year if he continues his rise. Yeah, not a surprise at all. I mean, he wasn't in the conversation really at all when it came to the quarterback setting into this draft. And if he was mentioned, he was mentioned at like nine, ten, eleven, something along those lines. He still would have been drafted. He would have probably been a first couple of days, but. As far as being like the top pick or one of the top picks, that didn't seem to be uh, in the cards whatsoever. So, yeah, he's got uh, more time to get seasoned and go run it back with a very different cast of characters. Should still have a strong O-line. The weapons are a bit more of a question mark, although I think you feel fine about running back after what we saw uh, down the stretch. That'll be okay. But wide receiver, tight end, you know, definitely have a little bit of unknowns there, uh, losing some massive pieces. So he's got to get better. Like, he's got to be more of the guy he is at times he's just but he was able to with a very talented cast around him not have to be that I think he'll have to be more of that next year and uh, that'll put him in a in a big spotlight and he seems to be ready for it and want to embrace it and um, yeah I just think this is the the no-brainer here for for all parties and you'd think uh, he'd had a had a conversation with Steve Sarkeesian but uh, it's funny because you say that and I'm thinking you're going to say Arch Manning because that's how much of the conversation at Texas in the quarterback spot now seems to revolve around Arch as much as anything. So I was ready for you to say, I'm sure he talked to Arch Manning about coming back. No, he talked to his head coach about coming back. Uh, but that'll, Which is why I said that. Yeah, yeah but that'll, that'll be something that that's just what's already in our brains. Well, it's Arch's time, right? Now watch. No. There'll be all the Arch is going to – I think Go that's going to be – Yeah, that's going to be totally fine, and I think that's just for clicks and views, if, if anything else. But uh, not a surprise, I don't think, for the folks involved over there, all the, all the people we just mentioned. So, yeah, good for Texas, and uh, he will – have a big expectation sitting uh, heading in the next year. We're going to worry about some of the other decisions to come back or leave for the NFL a little bit later on. Here are some more notes about Saban before we go to Pat Smith from WJOX in Birmingham. Saban's day of retirement. This from Matt Zenitz on what he did today. Uh, retirement is his, is him going through yesterday like a normal work day before his announcement, which is around four four thirty. Perfect example, he finished an assistant coach job interview at 355. Five minutes later, he went into a team meeting and announced he was retiring. Today, he was there early. Pat Smith had video of him when he arrived, when Jimmy Sexton, his agent, arrived, who also represents like maybe 80% of the SEC coaching contracts, and then also when he left about maybe 30 minutes or so ago. Here is a list of how much former players at Alabama have earned who were drafted during the Nick Saban era, $2.3 billion with 123 draft picks. The factory from Tuscaloosa, and that's not the only financial assistance that he gave Alabama. Do you have the one from the president, the chancellor? Uh, uh, the chancellor of Alabama talking about how much money based on the, uh, uh, enrollment. Robert Witt, Nick Saban is the best investment this university has ever had. He increased enrollment while he was there and don't think that football doesn't have a big impact on it. It does. In fact, it increased not only the enrollment, the out-of-state enrollment, which, of course, is three times the amount of tuition Do you know that, what it, that brings in. Do you know what that also helped them do uh, was raise their academic standards? Yes. So, yes. Um, 
I like I I t- I'll tell you this. I applied to the University of Alabama when I was in high school, and I did it because the, for out of state, they were so desperate to get out of state people because people weren't moving to Alabama. I guess at that time uh, in the late '90s, so the application was one page front and back. It didn't even have a fold. It didn't even have a fold. And one page front and back. Uh, have your guidance counselor fill out the this part which was you know another form that they had and then send us your transcript i sent that in and seven days later i got a letter in the mail saying you're in really yeah Yeah. and so um and not that i was i was a good student but it wasn't like it was way easier than anything else i did and things have certainly changed alabama's academic standards research like all that happens because of football and so yes it's absolutely true that Nick Saban is the best investment there. Craig, you wrap this up, and then we're going to go to Pat Smith Radio from WJOX in Birmingham, and then eventually former Alabama linebacker Matthew Barnhill. On the time he spent, he's a lifelong Alabama fan, went to school here in Waco, and his thoughts about greatest of all time retiring yesterday and what it also does to I'm Alabama. the grain here and call out every single goal. Sorry, my bad. See, if you had one of these Dell yeah. computers, it would not happen. Yeah. All right, when we come back, Pat Smith. Was, you, was Craig going to say well, something? I, I thought he was. I don't know what I was supposed to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, just any. Well, when we come back, Pat Smith Radio, he also did that, that emergency show with Cole Kublik uh, yesterday evening on Birmingham Radio. He's next. He's been following this story right in the backyard of Alabama fans in Birmingham. This is 365 Sports. Stonewood Dental, Robinson, Texas. My dentist, Dr. Steve Childress, who's helped me. Make up for lost time of not taking care of my dental work enough uh, or even the right way. Yeah, you can do the standard. You wake up, you brush your teeth, you brush your teeth before you go to bed, You, whatever. I, I always had gum, but sometimes the wrong kind of gum with too much sugar, lozenges, way too many of them, and it got to the point where it started to affect my dental work. And since that time I met Steve Childress, I've had two crowns put in. I've had a, uh, a retainer to help me out with my front bridge. I've also had root canals and two teeth pulled. And he's done it because uh, he finally said, hey, pop, pop, wake up. This is going to get worse at your age in, the, in your young 60s. Dr. Steve Childers with a great staff in Robinson, Texas. If you need emergency-type dental work, he's there. If you need teeth cleaning, his staff is there. If you need more than that or anything in between, it's Stonewood Dental, Dr. Steve Childress, my dentist in Robinson, Texas. It's the Start Something New sales event going on now at Allen Samuels in Waco. Say big now and get all 2024 Jeep Grand Cherokees at 10% below MSRP or all 2023 Jeep Compass and Renegades for 10% below MSRP only at Allen Samuels. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths in tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat, Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over 1,000 
new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quickcrete, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Automatic Chef Canteen is a full-service micromarket vending and office coffee provider with state-of-the-art vending equipment, a wide variety of products, and offering custom-fitted micromarket vending office coffee solutions for your employee break room. You want a full break room solution and a workplace oasis? Well, Automatic Chef Canteen, locally owned and operated for over 50 years in Central Texas, also includes in-house mechanics on call 24-7 for fast, reliable service and maintenance. Automatic Chef Canteen, 6900 Imperial Drive in Waco or online at automaticchefcanteen.com. Looking to connect with Baylor alums in your area? Baylor alumni can help. Looking to host a watch party in your city? Baylor alumni can get you started. Want to step out in your community and serve with other alums? Baylor alumni is your connection with the university and each other. Let's get started. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at goarmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Excuse me. We are 365 Sports. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, and David Smoke. Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie also in studio here uh, at uh, MLK and our studio. We're now joined by Pat Smith, Pat Pat Smith Radio, WJOX in Birmingham, three-man front, uh, and he joins us. What's the mood like, Pat, in Birmingham, Alabama today? Well, I'll tell you, we did about eight hours live radio last night as we were trying to console the fans. We were trying to look ahead. A lot of people were very shocked. Although he was 72 years old, it was a surprise to a lot of people that Nick Saban was going to step down. They had another great recruiting class. You get to the national semifinal game. Alabama will be a preseason top five team next year. Expanded playoffs with the expanded SEC next year. Things look good, but at the end of the day, we all saw this day coming. The last few years definitely has been a little bit different. And there's just been this constant drumbeat way in the distance this year. That It just seemed a little bit different, guys. And, and so much at 4 o'clock yesterday, Nick Saban decided now was the time for him to step back and get on with the next chapter of his life. Pat, um, what do you feel is the – because you're not going to just – make another Nick Saban. Like, you can't just go and find a guy who has those exact same qualities. So what does Alabama want in the next coach, especially since it's apparently not going to be Dan Lanning? And that's the only one we know for absolute certain. And maybe Mike Norvell looks a little less likely after the tweet about a recruit today. But who even knows? 
And, and the the irony part of that tweet is that it's a player from Alabama mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that they just got out of the transfer portal. Um, that is the part that is going to be very interesting to the fans because the fans have become very spoiled. I've been covering this program for a long time, and the 18 years before Nick Saban got there, there was many peaks and valleys. It was up and down. And, yeah, they won the national championship in 1992. They won a couple SEC titles in the 90s, but that program was pretty much a wasteland. The, uh, the program in regards to the facilities was way behind probably five or six other schools in the SEC. And that's why Nick Saban ultimately came to Alabama because he knew that he could build it the way that he wanted it to be built. He told the Big Cat alumni, you need to stay out of the football office. This is my program, and if you don't like it, I'm not coming from Miami to Tuscaloosa. So with that being said, this program is obviously in the upper echelon in college football, but there's not going to be another Nick Saban. I think for fans to think that it's going to be an automatic 12-win season every year, they better get ready because parity in college football, as you guys know and talk about it almost every day, it's here. And the transfer portal and the NIL has definitely leveled the playing field and Alabama and the SEC is behind some folks in regards to NIL and the way that they operate in the portal. So whoever is the next coach, it's going to be completely different, but the fans better get ready because there will never be another Nick Saban. Pat, what are your expectations? I guess, what have you heard? What is the talk about Saban? And uh, will he continue to be around Tuscaloosa? Is he going to maintain an office there? Kind of what will still be his involvement moving forward? And there's a lot of rumblings about media opportunities for him. That seems like a college game day spot would be an absolute layup for him. What are your thoughts on a, a post-coaching media career for Coach Saban? I think you're right. It is going to be a slam dunk. And the reason why is because in 2013, after Alabama had lost in the famous kick six game down on the plains of Auburn, uh, he met with Nick Kahn, who is now the president of WWE. He at that time was representing Nick Saban on the television side, Jimmy Sexton represents Nick, uh, obviously on the field, but all the commercials and the other publicity things that Nick Saban does, he was represented at the time by Nick Khan. Well, Nick was, obviously, he represented a lot of people on ESPN game day, and there was a deal in place for him in 2013 to step aside from coaching and be an active member of college game day back in 2013. Ultimately, he decided his juices still wanted to coach. And obviously he had a few more national championships left in him at Alabama. So he decided to come back to the capstone and coach until yesterday at four o'clock when he announced it to the team. So I think that goes without saying he, he will do something with ESPN. I'm not sure that he will be on every ESPN game day, but he will have a heavy involvement now that the SEC package is completely going over to Disney and ABC you will see Nick Saban. don't think you'll see him in the booth, but you'll see plenty of his analytics and things that he will do on the weekends uh, trying to break down football games. But as far as the next role at Alabama, you know, he made $11.4 million. He had a contract through 2029 in Tuscaloosa. He signed a new eight-year deal last season. So the general feeling is, is that he and Terry, they bought the big house down in Jupiter, Florida, for about $17 million in the offseason. They will spend the majority of their time there. They're heavily involved in Nick's Kids with the charitable organization in Tuscaloosa. They're building a new center there in T-Town. So they will be back and forth to Tuscaloosa. I think he will have a role in the university, in the athletic department, sort of like Bob Stoops. But I know Bob Stoops obviously still lives, I believe, in the, in the Norman or Oklahoma City area. 
But I think ultimately uh, Nick will spend most of his time in Florida, come back to Tuscaloosa, but he'll just be a phone call away. But but he will not be an everyday person in the athletic department. He he will get a paycheck, but it definitely won't be the eleven point four he made last year. I saw a note. I don't I, I don't know if it was Reese Davis or whoever put it up that he already has told his team that he's going to have an office inside Bryant Denny, as you mentioned, and that he can still like bark at them from where he's going to be, <laughs> which is is uh, kind of kind of cute in a way. Uh, in, in a way, will a Jimmy Sexton client be the next head coach at Alabama? <laughs> Well, tell me what coach is not represented by Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Jimmy Sexton was uh, – he was there in the uh, the Malmore Athletic Building today. Um, now, whether he was there helping Nick Saban pack up his office or he was there talking about Kalen DeBoer from Washington or another one of his clients that he might have in the mix, Elaine Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, somebody like that. Um, you know, Jimmy represents a lot of them. So it could be a, a conversation kind of like going to Walmart, get your groceries, get your oil changed. Maybe that's what Jimmy Sexton was doing in Tuscaloosa, kind of killing two birds with one stone. So I think it's a pretty good, pretty good idea to think that whoever the next head coach is probably will be a CAA client or someone that Jimmy Sexton represents. How would Alabama fans feel about Dabo Sweeney? Uh, I will tell you, they were chanting last night. A, a large portion of students went to the Nick Saban statue outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium, and they started chanting this, guys. I'm not lying to you. We have video of it. It is fans chanting, anyone but Dabo, anyone but Dabo. <laughs> Dabo, for him to be the favored son and being growing up in a, a suburb of Birmingham and playing wide receiver for the 1992 National Championship team, I guess the bad blood from the two national championships he won um, and the things that happened against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the past, he is most definitely not one of the people that that folks think that needs to even be in the conversation for the job. There's been no buzz whatsoever. He's got a $7.5 million buyout, and you would think that that might present an opportunity for Alabama to put him on the board somewhere. But as of right now, guys, his name is absolutely dead in the water in regards to coming back to Alabama. Pat, I know everybody wants to ask you, all right, who's the next guy to be? When's it going to happen? But uh, what is the level in your mind uh, as far as the sense of urgency goes, knowing the amount of DMs and phone calls and texts and uh, words through intermediaries that are probably going on with that roster in that recruiting class right now? Uh, well, that, that's the big key. Uh, one thing was for sure yesterday afternoon, it was communicated to the team that they were looking at making this a fast process, looking at the next 72 hours. You mentioned it, the transfer portal, Alabama top five recruiting class. You got guys going in the portal. The players did have, the veterans of the football team did have a players only meeting after Nick Saban talked to the team. And basically what I have been told is those players basically said, look, Let's let the dust settle a little bit. You got 30 days before you can go into the portal. Let's see who exactly may be coming in to be the next head coach. So don't make any drastic decisions right now. Let's just kind of settle out a little bit. So the veteran leadership of the football team definitely stepped up yesterday trying to make sure that the young guns and the, and, and the folks that was looking to potentially get into the portal make sure that they understand, hey, just take it easy. And Nick Saban was on the phone. I was told today, guys, that Saban was on the phone talking to recruits. He was talking to, to players currently on the roster, trying to ease their mind and tell them everything is going to be fine, guys. Just just take a deep breath, kind of relax over the next few days. So Nick Saban, even in retirement, 
he is still recruiting. It's unbelievable. Pat, can we go rapid fire here? And I'll just throw out some names and you tell me like um, how fans would feel about them quickly. Okay, sure. Okay, Mike Norvell. Yeah. Lane Kiffin. They would be excited. Kalen DeBoer. They respect what he's done, but it definitely would not win the press stop. So, of those three, okay, one more. Steve Sarkeesian. Excited. Through the roof. So, Lark, uh, uh, Sark and Lane would be the ones that the fans would want the most if you straw pulled them. Absolutely. And, and the main reason why is because the success they had in bringing national championships to Alabama and what they did, bringing that exciting style of offense to the tide. So that's why those two are on top of the list. Is there anybody in the NFL that is a former college coach that could be involved or at least somebody of interest? Well, I've not heard his name, but I'm just throwing this out there. We're just throwing mud up on the wall to see what sticks. Brian Dayball for the New York Jets. And the reason I bring him up, he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, had a relationship with Nick Saban. It would be ironic, guys, because back in 1982, when Bear Bryant decided to retire, Guess where they went? New York Giants. Ray Perkins was tapped as the next head coach to to uh, fulfill the Alabama vacancy when the legend Bear Bryant stepped down. Would that not be something if Nick Saban stepped down and they went to the NFL and looked at someone like a Brian Dayball? I'm not saying he's in the mix. That's just a wild name that obviously had a connection to Alabama. The one that the fans really would love more than anything in the world, not too far away from you guys. I know it's a big state, but – over in Houston, D'Amico Ryans, who played at Alabama, Bama fans would be over the roof if he decided, hey, mama called, let me go back to Tuscaloosa. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's perfectly where he is in Houston and potentially you know, putting that franchise on the road to a Super Bowl in the future. But, yeah, D'Amico Ryans is someone that the Tide fans would absolutely be over the moon about. Well, what a year he's had with the uh, Texans in the NFL. Incredible to make the playoffs his first year after they've been kind of a mess. On the Sarkeesian front, we're on the front. We know that that connection there, the obvious connection. Is that yet a no? Do you know yet whether or not? I know that nothing's been publicly put out there like Dan Lanning did. Texas is a place that's hard to leave. They don't usually lose anybody unless they want to. Is that, do you think, like a glimmer of hope, or do you think it's more of an open door than that? Uh, I I don't think it's a – in my opinion, I think he's in the mix, but I think when it's all said and done, he will not leave Austin Mm -hmm. for Tuscaloosa just because of the fact that they are coming in the SEC. They just beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. To my knowledge and the people that I've talked to, they have got their ducks in a row much better than Alabama does in regards to the NIL and the way they handle certain things. So I just don't – now, this was five years ago. I think absolutely he is out the door in a heartbeat heading to Tuscaloosa. But because of this day and age and where Texas is, they've won the college football playoff this year, I don't see why he would envision that unless that is his career aspiration to follow Nick Saban. And I've been given no indication that that's what it is. But you just never know what these coaches, what ultimately they want to do with their career. Now, Pat, this is replacing the GOAT. So would there be some coaches you would think that might be a fit that would be like, yeah, no. Uh, you know, as you don't much want to be the guy honest, that follows the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? Because of the nice big buyout 
that any coach would get, even if you fell flat on your face in three years, you would probably have generational wealth. I mean, the reason I bring that up is because Auburn has made a lot of people multimillionaires, from <laughs> Gus Malzahn to Brian Harson after two years. So, I mean, whoever comes to Alabama, you know Jimmy Sexton is going to have a sweetheart deal on the back end. So if you want to get rid of them, they're going to get paid. Now, it's not going to be Jimbo Fisher money because Alabama would never sign anybody to that type of deal like they did down in College Station. But I will tell you that I think Alabama um, is still coveted, even with having to follow in the footsteps of Nick Saban. Keep in mind, with that expanded college football playoff next year, I think the avenue for an SEC team, even with two or three losses, I think it's an easier path moving forward. And so you might not have to go 11-1 and one and get to the SEC championship game. I mean, you might find yourself with a 9-3 and three record, and mm-hmm. you're in a conversation based on your record. So I think it's a new day and age. I don't think that that's going to play a lot into it in regards to trying to follow the GOAT with this unrealistic expectation. Pat, if you don't mind, like in a minute, do you feel like Nick Saban will have a huge influence on who does replace him? I think over the last couple of years, guys, I think that he and Greg Byrne have a great relationship. I think that this conversation has been had probably multiple times. I think Greg Byrne, that list of names that I've been told that he's always had in his top drawer of his desk there at the Malmore or the uh, Athletic Center, I think that list helped be compiled by Nick Saban. Do I think Nick Saban said, you need to go this guy, this guy, this guy? But I most definitely think that Greg Byrne has got the input of Nick Saban of this guy or that guy. Hey, you, you know, what do you think about this fella? Or whatever the case may be. To get his input so that whatever short list he came up with before he started the, the legwork of trying to get with agents and try to figure stuff out, I think he probably had a kind of a soft blessing from Nick Saban what direction they were going in. Pat, you've done a great job. The videos you put up of him arriving today, of leaving today, of Sexton today. <laughs> Uh, and, and then also, Craig's the one that gave me the heads up last night that you and Cole were doing a an emergency yes. show, which I get that. We were. Thank you so much for your time. We'll try, try to check back in with you again once a decision is made, if that's okay. Hey, guys, always a pleasure. A big fan of your work. Uh, best to you guys. And you too. Pat Smith, WJOX in Birmingham and also Three Man Front. Yeah, I happened to be driving home last night, and I was like, I wonder who's got the – latest and uh, most interesting commentary on the Nick Saban debacle. And I thought, well, the place where, you know, if you're a college football fan, you know that's kind of been the epicenter of, I guess, radio stations uh, in this country now for a long while. Paul Feinbaum worked there for the longest time, right, at uh, WJOX. And I just was rolling through my app and I was like, yeah, that I bet they. I wonder if they're doing something. And sure enough, there was an emergency, like two-hour live show, to to talk about the news. And they had like six people in there, and Pat was one of them. And they, they're like, "We're going another hour." And, they, and like by the time I checked back in, they'd gone like three hours on the on the deal. And so I was like, "Yeah, we got to get Pat on here to talk about it," because I, I just found that to be really interesting and, uh, and enjoyable. And so, yeah, great stuff there from Pat. So I started thinking about people who played for Nick Saban, some of those guys. I, I don't just have their number. I, I did reach out as well to Matt Flynn, former LSU quarterback who was at LSU when Saban was there before he left for the Dolphins. Matthew Barnhill, former Midway High School linebacker and also Alabama linebacker, joins us now on 365 Sports. Matthew, Craig Smoke, Paul Catalina, and David Smoke, what was your reaction when you heard the news yesterday? 
Smokey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be on and I uh, get to talk with you guys. Uh, yesterday was a whirlwind. You know, I, I really had no idea that this was happening. And uh, I think Pat said it well when he said that everybody had kind of expected this, but we didn't know exactly when uh, it was going to come. You know, towards the last couple of years, we had started to think about it after, at the end of the year. Uh, but I, in no way did I expect it to come yesterday. So it was definitely a shock. Uh, a lot of feelings that, that I've never really had to feel before with Alabama football. You know, I've been alive for 24 years, and Coach Saban has been ahead of the team for uh, 17 of them. So it's definitely a, definitely a change and definitely a shock. Matthew, you were walked on there, and the life of a walk-on is not easy. I mean, it is um, to, to, to walk on, to make the team, to stay with the team for your entire college career is, is really, really something. Um, what was it like experiencing that from that perspective as a guy who was not, you know, when you walked into the football offices, there wasn't the band playing and cheerleaders and everybody waiting for you, but you earned your way up in a different, different way. Yeah, so I definitely had more of a, a hardworking story when it came to it. Uh, I wasn't a big like five-star recruit or four-star recruit that they brought the bells and whistles out for or anything like that. But uh, from my perspective, I had a chance to work my way in and, uh, and with that have the opportunity to belong just as much as the other guys did. And uh, what I love about Coach Saban is he, he will talk about his college playing career. He played at Kent State. Uh, and he was a kick returner for him. So he uh, he had the experience of, of playing and saying, I wasn't the, the best player on my on my team, but I knew where I fit in. So, you know, being uh, kind of being surrounded by programs that had hardworking and, and, uh, and just really kind of disciplined mindsets my whole life, I thought, yeah, this is an opportunity where I can really fit in. And, uh, and Coach Saban's a guy that anybody would love to play for. He could he could motivate you to do anything. And, and just feeling like I had the chance to play for him and learn from him uh, was definitely different as a walk-on. But I got all the same motivation. I got all the same uh, principles instilled in me. And uh, that, that's something that I will forever credit in my life. It's uh, a great foundation. Uh, Matt, can you just speak to the, the- – love that Alabama has for Nick Saban we've seen the the like memorial even though he's he's still here he's fine he's healthy from all <laughs> indications but it's almost like there was a funeral just because he's so beloved and the success that he had there but what has been the conversation with your fellow Alabama you know ex-teammates or, or just friends or what have you uh, over the last uh, I guess less than 24 hours but but you know the last day or so yeah uh so some of the guys I, I was closer with on the team are uh you know they they come from similar backgrounds as me. So uh, from our perspective, it's more like thank you, coach, for the for like letting us have the honor of playing for you. And uh, and when you think of the University of Alabama, Nick Saban's the first thing you think of. Uh, from every account that I've heard uh, from natives of Alabama, you know, my, my wife was a, uh, a native Birmingham lady, but so I've been able to hear a bunch of bunch of stories uh, how how it was before. He completely changed the university in every way. You look around, there's brand new buildings, there's brand new everything. Uh, and a lot of that is can be attributed to the, the football team. Uh, so that's, it's kind of a thing where what do we do? We, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, that's, that's been on the mind of a lot of Alabama fans and, and ex-players. 
And that those statues, they mean everything. When you have a coach that wins the national championship and could bring that to a university, uh, it's it's just on another level. You know, in a way, my heart's broken because I love the guy so much. It's, everybody has nothing but respect for a guy who's a born winner and a born competitor in every aspect of the word. Matt, is there a conversation at all with him that you remember that might have been with you or something he said to you that sticks with you to this day, among many things he said as a coach? Yeah, so uh, Coach Saban had called me out one time uh, <laughs> in, in particular that I can feel. Uh, and it's, it's almost like I, I took a mental rep in a way, or I, I took a, a, a lackadaisical rep. Uh, on a kickoff return. I didn't think in any way that I would be seen. Uh, it was kind of like I, did, I didn't go into a break at, uh, at 100%. It was more about 50%. And he jumped all over me. And I just remember feeling, wow, how does, how does Coach Saban know that out of, all, out of all 22 practice players that are on the field right now for this one rep, uh, that he can pick out on the instant something that was wrong, a player that wasn't giving his all, and that motivated me to just really try to give every bit of uh, every bit in my preparation, every bit in practice, uh, and, and every bit that I could uh, in every aspect of the game. So that that was a different expectation that that I've been held to, and it motivated me to be better in everything that I did, uh, especially because it was coming from Coach Saban. So that's equally terrifying as motivating, I will admit. Uh, but it was definitely a great experience. Kind of like your mother, eyes in the back of her head, right? That you, you would think. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so that leads me to the question I was going to ask you anyway. Okay, Matt, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? The scariest movie I've ever seen? Uh, maybe Midsummer. Okay, Midsummer. That's a really freaky, weird movie. What is scarier, Midsummer or Nick Saban two seconds after someone jumps off sides? I definitely have to take Coach Saban on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he has a way of going from totally calm, and, and I would imagine as a player, this is why it works, because he's not a ranting lunatic over there, but he's totally calm in control, but when the little mistakes happen, he just throws the fastball right at you, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. the uh, it, it, A switch is flipped, and when a point is uh, needs to be enforced, he, he makes the point, uh, he gets it in control, and then it's business as usual. So it's, it's always, uh, you never want to mess up, and you definitely never want to have him see you mess up. Uh, so that was definitely, um, you know, definitely intimidating, but it was also a great way of handling business. It teaches you to move on and learn from your mistakes quickly. And he, he hated the little things that weren't, you know, a, a false start, too many men on the field, things like that. Turnovers happen. The other team's on scholarship, too. Uh, do you think, and, and Matt, thanks for your time today, do you feel like this team, where they were after the loss to Texas, uh, the USF uh, near nightmare, the benching of Jalen Milrow, was this, in your opinion, one of his better coaching jobs watching them? I think if it wasn't one of the better, then it was the best. Uh, these guys were able to improve so much. I was in person for the Texas game. It's heartbreaking being a native Texan and an Alabama fan for that one. But uh, these guys were able to improve, and I feel like this is the best example of Coach Saban being able to instill the Bama standard in a team that was lacking in it uh, from the start. So I'm so proud of these guys this year, and, uh, and I really hope that people in the future know that there's a, there's a standard uh, that we were held to, and that's the standard that we'll always have for the program uh, and 
that's a lot thanks to Coach Saban, but there's been Coach Gene Stallings and Coach Bear Bryant, mm-hmm. and uh, we know that the best is yet to come as well. Hey, it's always great to hear from you, and thank you for your time today to look back and reflect back on not just Nick Saban, but you. You were recruited, you went there as a walk-on, and you got a scholarship and played for the man. Thank you, Matt. Matthew Barnhill, former Midway at Alabama linebacker with us on Nick Saban, the decision that came down on Wednesday. Yeah, he was, you know, I, I, I remember when he was playing at Midway, and he was he was that kind of high school football player that was every coach wants because he was like he was not going to miss a tackle. I mean, he wasn't, and he was on some really good teams. And it was, it would be really easy for a guy like him to have blended into the background of some of the superstars on the team. But when we were doing Matthew's games, like there was just always several moments in each game. It's like, well, Matthew Barnhill made yep. that tackle on third down, or yep. you know, and he was playing behind Jackson Player, which is a, a great thing to do. But he he knew how to take advantage of like, oh look, Jackson just took up these probably three blockers, and here comes the guy, and he was Johnny on the spot. It was always hardworking and seems to be a guy who would probably fit that Saban mantra really well when he was in high school and and clearly, you know, earned a scholarship as a walk-on and played uh, four years there. When we come back, uh, Max Olson, his thoughts about what uh, Nick Saban and others have done. By the way, we uh, are well aware of UCF's upset of Kansas, but Paul banned us from talking about it during the show today, so I just want to pass that along. Paul did. I saw the, the UCF <laughs> yeah, fan who was upset we didn't start the show with that, but um, yeah, yeah, we, we, we basically his wife ordered that we not be allowed to talk about it. We so. are going to talk about it and uh, discuss <laughs> well, it no. in a way well, nationally. Well, we, we, your team. I'm just going to nod. Uh, when we come back, Max Olson, TheAthletic.com, Phil Bennett, Tim Brando, Craig's off the radar, Paul's top five, and yes, a look back at the week that's been crazy in college basketball and, of course, last night's UCF win against Kansas, in case you didn't hear that the first time. This is 365 Sports. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 with their location that was there forever until December of 2022. So they've been in the new building that's on the loop in Highway uh, 6 for the last year and a month. Reached out to Braden Embry, and what they have is now just a lot more of it. And they also are even more flexible on what you need when it comes to pipe, steel, and metal. They were always great at it, but now they even have different lengths that are available instead of the standard length of whatever this might be. They have different lengths, so you don't have to go get it then take it somewhere else to get it cut, or you do that yourself, it's all done for you. Uh, the distribution ability to go by and pick up what you order, whether it's an 18-wheeler, whether it's a, a pickup truck, or even some sort of a, a, a hauler or a trailer, they have many more bays available, and it's ready for you. It's always been that way, but now even more opportunities, so the flow is even more excellent and efficient. They have pipe, steel, and metal. You build something, they have what you need, and they have since 1943 their brand-new location on Loop 340 and also Highway 6 east of 35 in Waco, pioneerboys.com. 
Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL Fund, BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. GXG, empowering student-athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC see an equal housing lender. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon-wrapped fillets, sirloin steaks, bone-in ribeyes, boneless ribeyes, and even prime rib. Cut specifically the way you want, the thickness that you want. They're all delicious. They have Norwegian salmon, mahi-mahi, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey, variety of cheese, and several options of sausage links, and even regular jalapeno or cheese snack sticks, fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, and ground beef, marinated beef or chicken fajitas, and always large briskets and tri-tip available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and tradition continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, a full-service butcher shop and bakery, open Monday through Saturday. The Bauer Family, Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Max Olsen's been following, as anyone who's uh, covering college football or sports, the Nick Saban retirement, theathletic.com. Max, when you saw the news, were you like uh, shocked, stunned? Were you okay? We knew this was coming. Yeah, hey guys. Um, I would say at 4 o'clock yesterday, I was 
all packed up and I was heading to the gym to begin my off season <laughs> of getting my life together and having a life again. And I saw Chris Lowe's tweet and I said, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, honey. I'm not going. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just a, a reminder that, uh, I, I do, you know, Control is an illusion, guys. We have no control over our lives <laughs> when we cover this sport. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's very true, Max. Uh, who do you think, uh, now that Dan Lanning's off the board, and I'm hoping that Mike Norvell tweeting about a, a transfer from Alabama means he's off the board, uh, are the most realistic candidates for Bama at this time? Should we just jump right ahead to should Florida State hire Dion if it opens up? Yeah. You want to do that one, Paul? <laughs> yeah. I, look, I just hope they get somebody good. That's that's what I want. But I would love, I would like that too if that's where we're going. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter this afternoon, but there's a video of uh, of Jimmy Sexton literally walking into Alabama's mm-hmm. uh, building today. So um, I, I think we all kind of know uh, that that more than likely uh, Alabama will end up hiring one of his clients. Um, you know, I, I know Kalen DeBoer recently hired him and would be another one to keep an eye on for this one. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting, to, you know, it, the, the Alabama job, because of what Nick Saban has turned it into, and I think Nick Saban in the past has even said, like, Georgia is a better job, LSU is a better job. Like, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how other coaches at top programs perceive this because it's not just the piece of, uh, you know, do you really want to follow the legend, right? You want to live in the shadow of the goat there. When the guy literally said today, he's still going to have an office in the in the stadium. There, there's obviously that part, but you know, if you're at a place like Texas or Oregon or um, you know, you name it, like I think, it, I'm not saying that those are automatically better jobs than Alabama, but uh, it's an interesting conversation for those coaches and their agents and their families about, you know, are are we better off where we are now? I think you saw it today. Dan Lanning really felt like with what he's built through two years, the roster he's got coming back, uh, the experience he's had in Eugene, he didn't feel like Tuscaloosa was a better move. And uh, I think that's a very tricky debate for a lot of these guys because it is still Alabama, right? It is still ready-made to go win national championships. Max, uh, I don't know. Part of me is is kind of excited because this coincides with what's about to be an entirely new era when it comes to that 12-team playoff, and to remove a guy who's been such a mainstay is, I guess, bittersweet for some, but it's also kind of exciting that there's, like, the before Saban and then the Saban era and then this after Saban era that you talk about Wild West, you remove him from the equation now, which was such a certain thing pretty much year after year, and it just feels like this thing's even more just crazy than it's it's ever been because of that as well. Yeah, and, 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 you know, guys, in a, in a way, it's a little bit sad when you think about, like, it's just been kind of uh, nice to know he was always there. And I think that it's not just, you know, the impact that that had on Alabama as a program, as a, as a university, you know, obviously it's just, like, incalculable. But I think Nick Saban's presence as the GOAT in this sport has also just raised the pressure and the commitment, the buy-in from everybody trying to catch up to Alabama, too. So it's it's weird to just kind of think about a world where he's not the guy setting the standard for everybody. And you're right. I mean, I think it is probably like if you are Steve Sarkeesian or, or uh, Kirby Smart or shoot even Mike Elko right now, you're probably looking at this, you know, Brian Kelly looking at this and saying, well, here's the day we've all been waiting and praying for uh, when – you know, if, not to say Alabama's going to take a step back by any means. We'll see how this all shakes out. But, um, you know, when you take Nick Saban out of the equation, 
someday, like other people are going to have a chance to run this thing and, and uh, people will default to Kirby smart, but certainly there's a lot of people that uh, <laughs> have been waiting for the, the day for Alabama to, to not have Nick Saban in charge and, and hope that uh, that gives them a chance to uh, have, you know, have, give them a better chance to win national titles. Now, obviously a 12 team playoff is going to complicate that, but you're right. It is a pretty crazy shakeup going into uh, a year that is uh, going to feel unlike anything we've seen before. Six and maybe Harbaugh leaves. Yeah, and then Harbaugh might be out the door uh, to the NFL. Right. Who knows? Max, uh, you did the story about the value of the draft picks that played for Nick Saban. There was <clears> also <throat> the story about the value of what he brought to Alabama from out-of-state students to the population at Tuscaloosa to the enrollment at Alabama. But $2.3 billion for former players that had to be kind of a fun story to go look at, but the kind of impact he had, yes, the six national titles, but much more others earned money while he also was earning money. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, the asterisk there is it's, uh, it's $2.3 billion so far, you know? I mean, mm. I think the guys that have been coached by Nick Saban. True. You know, I, I, like, I think we can agree Trayvon Diggs is probably going to make a lot more money over the rest of the decade, right? Uh, you know, to a... Uh, Devontae Smith, I mean, you go down the list. They've got, you know, Bryce Young and Will Anderson. They've got a lot of young guys uh, in this league that are going to continue to be mainstays in this league for a long time. Um, I, yeah, it was it was fun to put together. Uh, I credit Zach Barnett from Football Scoop with kind of throwing that idea out there. Somebody should go look up just how much his players have made in the league. And, you know, I think it's one of those things. Uh, it, it's spreading it's to look up for sure and, and learn that, uh, you know, the highest earner is, is Julio Jones at a homeless. 150 million in his career, which is just insane. But um, it, it is a testament to Saban's greatness. Um, I, I know he cared very much about how he prepared his players uh, for the future, with, with or without football, and uh, you know set, wanted to set them up for for better futures that that could change their lives and stuff like that. And so you just think about you know the the more than 110 uh, guys that have come through that program that have turned into you know, millionaires just by going going to the NFL. Um, it's incredible to see, and uh, it's certainly a reason why recruits flock to Tuscaloosa and they signed so many number one classes in a row because people trusted at the end of the day that if you went to Alabama and earned a job, um, you know, you were, uh, you were going to make it as a pro. Max, um, when you, you mentioned those other coaches looking at, around the SEC and thinking like, okay, well, maybe this is an opportunity here. I mean, it still is Alabama, but let's not – I mean, and the things are different. The money's different. I mean, it, but it's Saban was just so good that he was the X factor in all this. Like, there's not another right. guy who can just go win six national titles. I, I think that that's what may get lost in this for some people because all the things changed around Nick Saban, players and assistant coaches and all that, and they were just still winning all this time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I think that's one of my favorite. That will always be one of my favorite things about the Nick Saban era is um, this is truly how powerful he was that it usually did not matter who was on his coaching staff. I mean, you, you, you would have, yeah, sure. There were some years when, Oh my gosh, you go, you go through it and he's got Mario Cristobal and he's got Lane Kiffin, he's got Kirby smart. And he's got all these guys that are future head coaches, obviously, but you know, everybody's replaceable. (laughs) Like everybody, you know, goes through there um, and uh, and moves on up in the world, and uh, he just replaces them with another coordinator, with another assistant, and Alabama would stay in the mix. And I just don't think, you know, that that's 
that tr- tells you just what a machine it was there, what, what a factory it was in terms of uh, producing great football players. And you have to have a great infrastructure. You have to have a great boss um, for that to be possible. But you just look across the landscape. There's just – I don't know that there's any other coaches in the country where you could really say, yeah, they could do that. They could, they could pull that off of just having a revolving door of assistant coaches, and yet the, the, the results stay the same. Max, what did you think of the national championship game on Monday night? Michigan getting the win, it seems like forever ago because this Saban stuff's kind of overshadowed what was the end of the actual season we cover, but Michigan over Washington. Uh, what were your thoughts on kind of how that unfolded? And also the Wolverines, obviously, in a very interesting year to go win their first title in forever. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was at that game, and, and all, now all of a sudden that feels like a very long time ago, mm-hmm. and I believe that was Monday. So that's... Uh, little that's a strange feeling um yeah it was uh it was it was really impressive you know i think that uh, this michigan football team first of all i don't i think it's gonna be a long time before we see another 15 and 0 team just with the way this is all getting set up here going forward um pretty pretty incredible uh to pull off what they did i, I think that the way they beat washington was the way they beat everybody this year and that was you know as, as good as washington was with his passing offense like that they, they just could not get comfortable at any point against that Michigan defense. That's the best, you know, it was the best in the country. And that, that team was built around the best defense in the country, a group that was great at pressuring you up front and great at covering you up on the back end. And, uh, and, and you really saw how much Penix uh, struggled, had a career eye in terms of uh, incompletions in that game. And then offensively, uh, they're going to pound you with the run. And, uh, and do, you know, JJ is going to do a little bit, but it's going to be a lot of uh, Corman Edwards and, just was so impressed by the way they played and the way that they really controlled that fourth quarter as, as, you know, certainly the far more physical team in that game, you know, credit to Washington for getting that far. It was an amazing season. Um, but Michigan was the best team um, all along, despite Jim Harbaugh not being their coach for six games. It just, it just didn't matter. They, this was kind of the, uh, the team of destiny. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff is going to probably happen in terms of the fallout here, but um, they, they certainly went all in on this year and, uh, there's no question who should have won it. Max, uh, do not allow a football coach, no matter how amazing his career was, to keep you from getting yourself back in shape and starting the new year the way you wanted <laughs> Thank and intended. You, Smokey. Yeah, you're welcome. That's, that is the affirmation I need. Thank there's, you, buddy. There's, there's, there you that. go. There you go. Max, at this time next week, are we having you on talking about Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan opening? Um, I, maybe I'll answer, maybe I won't. We'll see, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you are kind of a, a, a big deal. I mean, it, it, it doing the, the columns that you do, and there's never enough, right? There's never a day, like you said, going to the gym. Somebody said they're going to the ski slopes, and all of a sudden there's another story. Have fun. Enjoy it. Thanks for your time as always, young man. Hey, and, and, I, I, and I appreciate it, guys. Too. Yeah, I'm going to try and take next week off, which guarantees that a bunch of crazy stuff is going to happen. <laughs> Max Olson. Uh, with uh, theathletic.com. His story was the fact that of the players who have already been in the NFL with their current contracts, et cetera, nearly $3 billion in contracts, and you're right, he's right. That doesn't include those who are in the NFL that will get a new deal and maybe two new deals and the ones that have played for him that have not signed deals, including the class that will be entering the NFL in 2024. What, a, what, a, what an impact financially in so many different ways. All right, uh, we're not done. Phil Bennett around the corner. His thoughts about the uh, decision from Nick Saban. Uh, we will get into a, a few other college football notes. In fact, Garrett, let's do that now. 
Uh, we mentioned Quinn Ewers coming back for yet another year at Texas. And then because of that, you would think the conversation he may have had with Steve Sarkeesian, but still waiting on that Sarkeesian video that he's home in Austin, and that will probably come at some point. And then again, you don't have to do that because it's also kind of a look-at-me thing, but I'm sure the fan base would love that. Also today, uh, Marvin Harrison, excuse me, Agbuke of Ohio State, Really, among all of the great receivers they've had, another one says he's coming back. Okay, so that's pretty good news, right? You want to get trumped on the day you decide you're coming back? Marvin Harrison has decided, no surprise here, did not play in the bowl game. He is declared for the 2024 draft. And finally, one more note, and we can all talk about it amongst ourselves, all of them. Devin Neal, really good player for Kansas, back for more, the running back, at KU makes it official. He's coming back. Keep the quarterback healthy, and uh, that could be a team that contends for the Big 12 title. I mean, and, you know, if they had not gone through two different quarterback injuries last year, who knows uh, what, what could have happened, and they still managed and navigated it pretty well. But, uh, yeah, that's a team that, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen uh, in the Big 12 next year. It's going to be wide, wide open. I um, – uh, but on Marvin Harrison, yeah, that was going to happen. He's going to be a top-five pick. You know, it depends on where the quarterbacks fall. I mean, the first three picks could be Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. Uh, then after that, you're probably seeing Marvin Harrison in there. If he gets out of the top five, that's that would be a total shocker. Yeah, I think it's uh, great news for Ohio State. The uh, Ibuka news uh, definitely could have gone and uh, tried to apply his trade in the NFL and would have been a, a selection and, and made some money, but uh, feels that there's more to do and probably got a very nice uh, little signing deal with uh, coming back through NIL, and that's part of the whole NIL give and take is that uh, you lose guys, but uh, you also have this ability to maintain and 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 uh, keep guys on your roster that otherwise you probably wouldn't be able to. And I think in a non-NIL world, Emeka Ibuka is probably off to the NFL, but in this NIL world, uh, you're able to put together a nice package for him. But regardless of how it worked out to where he decided to stay, yeah, he and Marvin Harrison Jr., you think they would have kind of communicated. Uh, there was the jokes yesterday about Saban and Pete Carroll of like, hey, you, you announce on this day, I announce on this day. You know, or Belich- I saw a meme it was Belichick and Saban of like, hey, you announce on Wednesday, I'll announce on Thursday. And that's, you know, uh, how it, it ended up uh, working out with those two. But the Ohio State guys clearly did not communicate uh, with uh, – separated it a little bit or maybe they did it on purpose who knows maybe it was like hey we'll both announce on the same day but regardless uh that's great news for ohio state that uh, abuka will be back and then just not surprising news in the slightest that marvin harrison jr is deciding to leave for the nfl draft i think that's been a no-brainer for i don't know since before the year even started basically i mean it uh, other than a catastrophic type of an injury uh he was going to be off to the nfl and maybe they did plan it out to soften the blow a little bit. You know, like, hey, I'm going to announce that I'm leaving, but also you're going to announce you're staying. But regardless, a little bit of good, a little bit of uh, – or a lot of good, and then a little bit of, of no surprise there for the Buckeyes. And then Devin Neal coming back to Kansas just continues the good news train for the Jayhawks. Uh, they've really got a lot of things setting up nicely for them heading into next season. 
a lot of it will revolve around Jalen Daniels. You're not going to have Jason Bean to rely on and have one of the better backup quarterbacks and proven experienced quarterbacks in the entire country like you've had the luxury of the last couple of seasons, which you've had to go to time and time again, especially this year. Um, so I do think that's a that's a big loss of a like as big of a loss of a non-starting quarterback quarterback as you can have. I think is what you lost with Jason Bean after this past. Uh, season mm-hmm. so you really got to hope Jalen Daniels is healthy I know they'll have other options but I think the whole how high can they take this thing does revolve around Daniels and his health but having Neil who's another great returning running back in a league full of really good running backs is, is tremendous news for uh for the Jayhawks and Lance Leipold and they're right there in that mix of the conversation when you talk about next year and look at the 2024 season of you know who's going to be near the top. I, I think you've got to go look at Kansas long and hard, and um, not sure you put them at the top, but they're going to be in that mix for for certain. You know what they also are, Craig and Paul. They're very well built. The foundation is not just like fragile. It's not like hype. It's not just maybe. A, a, a little bit of, oh, they're pretty good for a year or two. This looks like what Lance Leipold's doing, which he's done before, is building it the right way. By the way, on the Jimmy Sexton note, he is uh, he represents 11 of the 14 coaches that are currently in the SEC. That's Jimmy Sexton, 11 of the 14. That also includes two that are incoming with Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian. Also, as uh, we heard earlier from Pat Smith, Mike Norvell, Kalen DeBoer, Lane Kiffin are also Sexton clients. He is the uh, what was the Lee Steinberg for many, many years and now is a, a few NFL agents that run the show. Yeah, he absolutely he's the dude for, for like he just sitting there in there in the office just talking to Greg Byrne going, okay, well, but this guy and this guy, there's already a, tr- a flight track from uh, Seattle to Alabama, you know. The, oh, yeah, there really, also was one the, from Eugene yeah. to yeah, so like that's all. Yeah. last night to Oregon. One or yeah. Fort Worth, Fort yeah, Worth yeah. with Sonny Dykes to Alabama. Yeah. But uh, a name uh, football scoop brought up uh, among, you know, also throwing out Mike Norvell, which uh, just, again, uh, since a, a pit we get stomach. It. We get it. We get it. <laughs> we know. God, we get Florida it. State fan is not is not uh, is not settled right now. There's a right. lot going on, but, but uh, I, I don't think that he's like the next up in line. We'll see though. But yeah, uh, yeah we well, we know Florida State fans are already on edge with the whole ACC thing. But now this is just added to your to yeah. your. Uh, Let's talk guess, Kansas basketball. But, of, but, uh, yeah. but Mike, Mike Loxley at Maryland uh, yeah, we apparently has yesterday. a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of support. Uh, apparently from some Alabama boosters who really like him. That would be an interesting one. He's done he's done a good job at Maryland. Uh, Another is, one of those rehab assignments. Yeah, and that's but and, and he's done yeah, again, he's done a good job at Maryland. He hasn't won the conference. He's been played for the conference title, but their offense is prolific. They're exciting. Uh, and he was again, he was in that pro so that would be an interesting one. I like I don't know if the fans would be as nuts about that, but again, you you can't do it for the fans. You gotta do it for what the fans will like it if they win. Like mm-hmm. that's that's, that's right. the thing. You can't do it because to win the press conference. So if you don't want to win the press conference, you call Lane, ask Lane how much it was, and then, and then you've won the press conference and you're done, and nobody else has to worry about things. But yeah, I, I, they're going to do what's going to be best for Alabama, or at least what they feel is best for Alabama right now. All right, uh, by the go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, they, yeah, yeah they, absolutely. They, they've got to do what's best for them, and uh, the coaches have to do what's the best for them. And so, Mike Loxley is definitely a name with the, the right ties and uh, experience, and uh, having success right now. So, I think that that is an intriguing name. I, 
Uh, very curious to see how fast this process goes because I do think you look at that roster and there's just got to be thousands of DMs and phone calls and texts at this point. Uh, you see Shador Sanders out on Twitter last mm-hmm. night. Hey, Alabama players, come come to Boulder is basically what his message was. I saw other players from other teams doing the same thing. So I, I do think time matters here, um, and you've got to nail this, but it's a, it's a very tricky situation because you're trying to do it quickly, but you're also trying to get it right, and there's a big spotlight on this job. And so, yeah, it's it's fascinating it. uh, how, how this is going to go and who that guy is going to be at the end to try and keep this thing going. Getting it right is more important than getting it quickly, uh, and it may take a while. I was going to ask Pat Smith this. If, if this thing lingered, and sometimes they do, I wonder if Saban would like, okay, I'm coming back for another year to, to save the ship, but he wouldn't do that. Last night, we had Ollie Gordon, the running back from Oklahoma State, on our show. And last night, he was also named the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award winner for the 2023 season. He also won the Doak Walker Award and unanimous All-American and Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. So congratulations to Oklahoma State running back Ollie Gordon. Yeah, I'm not sure how the votes shook out. I haven't seen that, but I was not surprised. I mean, you look at the competition. Jonathan Brooks obviously was... Uh, I mean, he didn't finish his season, but uh, had a really good run, and I think he would have been right there in the mix had he, if not the winner, uh, quite frankly, if he had not gotten hurt because his numbers would have been massive on average of, of what he had been doing prior to the injury. And then, obviously, Texas making the playoff, he would have been a big part of that. But he got hurt. Ollie Gordon was steady trained pretty much the entire year. Had some moments like the Big 12 championship game that weren't so hot, but a bunch of huge outings. Um, You look at Jalen Milrow, had some great moments, but wasn't a player of the year above a guy like what Ollie Gordon did throughout. Had he exploded against Michigan, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, that might have changed some minds if Jalen Milrow had, had beaten Michigan and then got them into the national title game, but... Uh, then you look at Ashton Janty, had a really fantastic year. Um, but, um, you know, obviously others felt that, that Ollie Gordon was the better choice there. And then uh, who was the other guy? Jonathan Brooks, Ashton Genty, Jalen Milrow, and uh, Ollie Gordon, obviously. And then um, you're, you're making me like I've completely gone blank. Okay, Ollie Gordon, who won it. Brooks, uh, also Gente. We had him on the show, uh, Caden Salter. Yeah, Caden Salter. And, he, you know, Liberty played the schedule that they played. He had a really nice year. But I think when you take into account Ollie Gordon playing against Big 12 competition, that, that definitely pushes the needle in his favor. So, yeah, that was, that was the, I think, the, the right choice and the, and the logical choice. And congrats to Ollie Gordon on picking up some more hardware. I know a lot of people that enjoyed meeting him and getting to see him and a couple of the other guys last night, uh, Caden Salter, uh, as well, and uh, I'm already forgetting again. Jonathan Brooks couldn't make it. Um, Ollie Gordon, Jonathan Brooks, Caden Salter, Ashton Jancy was there. Gente, Ashton yeah, was and, there. But Ollie Milrow. Gordon, I mean, uh, Jalen Milrow couldn't make it. He was supposed to be there, and Until the Nick Saban sudden, news dropped, yeah. and they just basically turned the plane around and uh, couldn't make it, but it ended up being a great night despite that. So, yeah, congrats to Ollie Gordon and to the Campbell folks and to Earl and family, and, and appreciate them. Just in case you did not know, last night UCF men's basketball beat Kansas, and Mike Norvell is still on the watch list for Alabama. When we come back, Phil Bennett, his thoughts about Phil, uh, about uh, the Nick Saban retirement. Uh, we've heard him talk about Saban and what makes him so special. Maybe some names who are on the radar. This is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on for great customer service, for great pricing, 
and for great options. Uh, they have a lot of good deals going on right now over at Richard Carr, and that's whether you're looking to buy new or whether you're looking to buy pre-owned. They can take care of either, but if you are in the market for uh, an SUV that's got a combination of luxury and value and all the bells and whistles, well, then look no further than the Buick, the perfect combo of first-class luxury and first-class value like no other sport utility vehicle out there, ranked number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers. The Buick Envision offers a Amazing value, and right now, save 5000 on the Buick Envision, plus qualified buyers can get 1.9% financing on Buick top-rated SUVs, plus if you're military or first responder, you can save an additional $500. Now, restrictions apply, so see dealer for more details, but they are uh, not only in the market or, or in the business of selling you brand-new vehicles, they've also got plenty of pre-owned cars and trucks as well all over that lot. A hundred, as a matter of fact, used cars and trucks that you can go over there and choose from and know that all have been inspected with the 172-point inspection and have been uh, you know, dubbed with the uh, Richard Carr seal of approval which is a big deal. The financing goal over there at Richard Carr is also 100% credit approval, as they say yes when others say no, so you can feel good about the car that you're getting in and about the offer that you're getting as well. So go check out the people who have been in business for 24 years in Central Texas and built a reputation during that time as the people you can count on for your automotive needs. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now and go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Aaron Duvall, owner, Texas Beef House. Aaron, it's premium grade East Texas beef, and you're located just outside of Tyler. No hormones, no antibiotics, no steroids, the kind of beef that people want. And then also your label is what catches people's attention as well. Yes, uh, we have a, a all-natural pasture-raised uh, Wagyu beef. It's a USDA label. That means our cattle never spend any time in the feed yard. They go straight from the pasture to the day of harvest, and we oversee the whole process from the beginning of the genetic choices when we make these matings to the time the calves are born, to the, the feed choices, all the way through uh, when the animals are harvested. So we oversee the whole thing as a family, and we just believe, you know, life's too short to eat average beef. So uh, we uh, offer people a chance to step up their game and uh, try uh, YG Beef at TexasBeefHouse.com. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. With so many companies and policies, 
policies out there. It gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. Here we are, 365 Sports. Tim Brando, a little after 5 o'clock. Also just got word, Matt Flynn, former LSU quarterback. He was there, recruited by Saban out of Lee High School in Tyler. Played for Saban before he moved on to the NFL his thoughts, we had Matthew Barnhill on, who played at Alabama for Nick Saban. Now, Phil Bennett knows Coach Saban very well over the years and has talked about him quite a bit. So, Phil, uh, why? He said that uh, today in an interview with Reese Davis that he could not answer anymore, uh, are you going to be around by the time I finish up my college career three or four or five years? And that started to get to him a little bit. Well, you know, Smoke, you know for a fact these, these guys recruiting against him, we're absolutely using that. And, uh, and you know, I can imagine with the NIL and with with uh, all the different things, I happened to talk to Kevin Steele today, just called me out of the blue. And he told me, he said, I sort of felt like I pushed coach when I went in there and told him before the, the bowl game that I'm probably going to wrap it up this year. And he said, he said, he told me, he said, I'm envious of you. So uh, I, I think it was a conglomerate of things that were going on. And uh, and I do know this. I bet it was hard for him after that last game to hang it up with that kind of loss. Mm-hmm. Phil, how much – I mean, look, there's great coaches and then there's great coaches. And he is taken to a level in a time where, look, there's scholarship limits and rules changes and things that weren't in place when Bear Bryant was coaching. Not that it, it doesn't make Bear Bryant – less great but the way he was able to do it and the way that no one else is really going to be able to match this like how does that separate from you know is it like kind of comparing like tom brady to troy aikman they're both great but one is greater paul you got to remember and and i remember when he took alabama alabama was down uh you know dennis franchoni had brought him up just a little bit and, and Dennis had told me, because he was a friend of mine, he said, listen, it's an unbelievable job, but it is truly a 24-7 job. And Dennis couldn't handle the coping skills of it. Uh, Alabama, I think, is different than Texas. It's different than any other job because of what Coach Bryant did. And I think that when Nick took the job, uh, his, uh, just the way he handled things, he was able – to take that program to a level nobody could see but because it wasn't there at that time. And if people remember, and you might remember the smoke, Northeast Louisiana beat them. Yes. And, and, yes. and, and uh, but, but he had a plan and he kept recruiting and he, he hired good coaches and he covered the bases. Um, I think without question, there's nobody that's done it to that level, to that degree, regardless of where they're at. Uh, over the past 17 years uh, with what he's done. Phil Bennett, former college football coach with his longtime college football coach on 365 Sports. 
Coach, from a fellow coach's perspective, I know you've kind of rattled some of it off there, um, but what impressed you most from a coach-to-coach looking at how he did his job? Nick, this is a a sort of a a long story, but I'm going to make it brief. Nick and I sort of grew up coaching together, and back in the 80s, I was the defensive coordinator at Purdue. Nick was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. We both recruited Chicago. So, um, along with Barry Alvarez, a lot of the old guys that it says that are that are closing down there. And I think Nick was a year or two older than me. And um, one of the things that I always admired about him is his passion for football. He loved knowledge. There was a lot of uh, clinics around the greater Chicago area that he and I did together. And, and uh, he worked for the great George Perlis. And he was George Perlis's defensive coordinator. And, and Nick – even uh, uh, to the to the very end, when I was at Baylor, I tell the story about I was in over in in uh, uh, Freeport, and Billy Napier comes in and he said, "Hey, you know who's out in the car?" I said, "Who's in the car?" He said, "Coach Saban." I said, "Go get him. Tell him to come in. Tell him to come in." So Nick was sort of doing work, so he comes in, and the first thing he tells me, he said, "Phil," he said. Uh, I want to get a clinic together. He goes, I want to, I want to, you know, we're all having to face this, this no huddle stuff that art does and all this. And he goes, let's, let's get four or five guys, just a few. And he said, let's, let's see the best answers to this. I mentioned it art and art says, hell no. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you, and I was excited about it. I didn't think of it. Of course I'm a defensive guy. I didn't think of it that way. And when I told Nick, I called him. I said, well, Art, so he goes, I knew it. I knew it. He said, they all think they got a damn secret, that it's some mystery. Uh, but but I loved his passion for the game. I mean, he wasn't an executive coach. He was hands-on. Kevin Steele told me today that that he would sit in there in the game plan, and he said, Phil, he's as sharp as he ever was. You know, he, his specialty was the back end, and, and just his knowledge and technique – uh, of how he taught those kids. I mean, he was truly a hands-on guy. Now, the other thing that I loved about him, it, it, he demanded excellence. Hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it 100%, and we're going to do it the best way. And, and and you know, he – it's like Kevin said. He said, you know, some of us – he said, I think he, he told me, he said, you have this ability. He goes, you can eat a kid's ass out, and they still like you. Yep. He said, I can't do that. He said, when I do it, they get, they get huffy and puffy. He said, Nick can do that. He said, Nick, he said, it became a deal where our players knew that Nick Kate kept us, uh, in, in, in line, that kept the players in line. He had a protocol and you had to abide by that. And I think it's obvious. That's why they won close games and that's why, you know, that he won seven national championships. There was a question asked of him when he took the job at Alabama. What would be the most difficult thing to get accomplished? And not that he thought it would be difficult, but because, and he said that there's only going to be one voice, that there's only his voice. That doesn't mean people can't tell him a coach is whatever, but it was him and it would not be like this group of donors or whatever, no matter how many donors they had. How much does that make a difference? Well, it's a present. You know, you you talk about, you know, Smokey, you've seen people that when they walk in a room, they have a present. Uh, Nick has that. And and you know what? Uh, Greg Byrne, the the athletic director, has told people, which I think the reason it was a great relationship 
he says, I have so much confidence in Coach Saban going to do the right thing and the best thing for Alabama. I never question a thing he does. And, and trust me, that's a lot of confidence, is it not? Mm. And, 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 and it, the relationship worked because he had a guy that was super, uh, uh, a detailed guy, covered every base. And the other thing you have to admire about Nick is he always respected the integrity of Alabama. And, and he wasn't ever going to put them in a position uh, that would hurt their integrity and what they're about. And, and I think anybody that's ever dealt with him in any facet would tell you that. Did you ever coach against him in a game, like uh, when he was a head coach or just assistant coach? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not when he was a head coach. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story, though. When I was in this, this is a true story. And my first year at Kansas State, and, and I was very close to Joe Dean, the longtime athletic director. Uh, we go 11-1. and one. My wife dies. My wife is unfortunately killed. And I've got Sam and Maddie. I think they were seven and, and, and ten. And, you know, the football season just saved me. Bill Snyder saved me. And, and uh, we're coming back. My late wife's family were doctors in, in uh, Alvarado. And we were coming back. We had just beat Missouri 66 to nothing. Mm. Sam is a paper hound, sports hound. And he goes, Dad, they just fired Jerry DiNardo. I said, really? He goes, I bet you, Joe Dean, I bet you they call you. I started laughing. This honest got true. And this was probably about an hour outside of Oklahoma City. We're going through Oklahoma City, and my phone rings. And back then, cell cell, you know, it was 1999. Mm-hmm. And it was, he goes, Phil, Joe Dean. And that's how Joe talks. They call him the music man. He goes, the job's open. He said, I want to talk to you. He said, when can you – I told him what I was doing. He goes, I'm going to pick you up in Fort Worth. And he goes, I'm going to fly you. We play Arkansas on Friday. And he said, you're going to be the last guy we interview. We're interviewing three guys. And I'm thinking, holy cow, Sam. Long story short, we go in. It's, uh, it's uh, The chancellor offers me the job. And Joe Dean is all excited. I'm very close to him. Uh, I get cold feet. I, I don't think I can do it. You know, I just, you know, Sam and Maddie were just getting comfortable in Manhattan. Coach Snyder is, uh, has been unbelievable. It got us a nanny. And, uh, so I call him and I said, Coach, I, I said, Mr. Dean, I can't do it. And my brother is sitting there. He's the head coach at Irvin High and he's shaking his head thinking, God, what are you doing? But I just couldn't do it. And long story short, Joe hung up. He's, he's upset. Calls me the next day. He goes, help me with some names. We're going through the names. Well, honest to God, Nick had struggled a little bit at Michigan State. And uh, and I told him, I said, you ought to call Nick Saban. He goes, ah. he goes I thought about him. He said, you know, he, he's from the he's from that area, from uh, – actually, I said, he's from West Virginia. That's, he's not, not like he's far north. And uh, long story short, he gets a hold of Nick's agent. Next thing you know, Nixon um, mm. is in LSU. And then Nick calls me. He goes, help me with some coaches. And I give him some names. You know, and I give him and he, he hires one of them. Well, the coordinator lasted two weeks. I'm not going to give a name. <laughs> this, this, this is a two, uh, true story. And I get this call, and it's Nick. He said, come work for me. He goes, 
I'll treat you. You know, I know you got the kids. You'll be on your time. I said, Nick, I'm, I'm staying. I'm staying at Kansas State. But he was good, and, and he was trying to get guys that had a background. And I'd been there. I'd had the number one defense in the SEC there, and uh, I knew he would do well there, and he did. You know, end up getting Jimbo Fisher, Mush Champ, uh, really had some good coaches, and and uh, end up leaving there and going to the uh, to the Dolphins, and uh, you know, just has had an all star career. You know. One of has to be one of the all time greats, Coach. Uh, I know everybody's speculated on who the guy will be to replace the guy, uh, and that's uh, a big position. But uh, Dan Lanning's already used this and leveraged it as a the big recruiting pitch for Oregon. The fact that he's going to be sticking around despite the the obvious interest there from Alabama. Did anybody initially pop into your head, or have you thought about it and thought about who might be, in your eyes, the best candidate? And could you please say Mike Norvell so we can watch Florida State alum Paul Catalina's head explode over here? No, no. You know, my, my guy's Dabo Sweeney. You know, he, he is uh, – I was coaching when Dabo played. Uh, I think Dabo, over the last nine or ten years, has had nine of the ten years he's had ten wins, run a program, he's learned – He's an Alabama guy. He was an all-conference receiver there. For, for whatever reason, that's who comes to my mind. He understands what Alabama's about. And uh, and I think – I really do. I think you have to to understand what you're getting into. You know, Dennis Francione told me one time, he said, Phil, I've never been anywhere. You can't even go out to eat. He said, I'm, I mean, Alabama fans are are, are – above and beyond anything that he, that he told me he had ever seen. And, and trust me, he left Alabama to go to A&M to try to have a life outside of football. So I, I think it's got to be somebody uh, that really understands what he's getting into because that job you know, can eat you up. I remember uh, Alabama had a Learjet land at the airport in Tyler because uh, Derek Farmer had taken a, a trip there, the former Lee running back. He had committed yeah, to A&M. Yeah, remember? Yeah. He's a tough kid. And uh, and then eventually, Franchoni goes to A&M, and that's where Farmer ended up signing on National Signing Day. But, yeah, he got I a, remember that. Got away I from remember the crazy. that. You know, I told somebody, I said, uh, what, what's crazy is, you know, you dream. At the time, though, let's be honest, uh, when Dennis took the job, it wasn't the job. It is now. Whoever takes that job it, it has to understand who they're following. Now, uh, do I think that it can still be a great job? Absolutely. But, you know, I've always told you guys this. Coaching matters. And what Nick did and how he ran his program, it matters. There's a reason uh, why Alabama has, has done what it's done and the way they've done it. You know, Kevin Steele told me to Phil. He said, I, I watched Nick go out and teach DB drills. He said, I swear to God, you would think he was 25 years old. He's backpedaling, he's breaking, um, it, which, it, you know, that's invigorating. You know, and, and I know that's the aspect that Nick loved about the game. And, and you know, some people say, well, what, what do you think happened? You know, why he's still healthy? And then I, I just think, truly, I do. I believe this NIL. Uh, and and the portal, I don't think that he believed he would still be around when it got fixed because I think it has to get fixed. This thing is out of control. Phil, one more question. You mentioned him, Kevin Steele. Uh, he had a bad bad 
time at Baylor. He was great yes, before that. But he yes, always he, he was on a lot of great programs, hired him over and over and over again, including Saban three times. Uh, what does that tell you? What well, does that tell you? I was going to ask you about that. I know that, that sometimes around here it's a joke because the UNLV game, but I like the guy. He was at Nebraska with Osborne. So your thoughts about what kind of career he had? I'm six. I'm sixty. It's going to be sixty nine. Kevin's, I think, sixty five. I've known him since he was a GA at Tennessee. Number one, he's one of the finest people you'll ever meet in your life. He, he is a football coach. He's diligent. He's a worker. Um, he will tell you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't get to do do overs. He would have do overs when the Baylor wasn't quite right. Didn't make and Baylor was a different job at that time. Sure, it was. It, it, it really was. Uh, but look at his resume. I mean, look who he's worked for. Look at what you know. He's a winner. And, and you asked Nick this year, who was who, who did he lean on the most about everything that was going on? This was this was one of his most gratifying years because new quarterback, new new coordinator, get better on defense. And I'm going to tell you, Kevin did a bang-up job at Alabama this year to help him get, uh, you know, to the Final Four. So, you know, every, everybody remembers what they want to remember, but but I know him. I know what kind of guy he is. I know what kind of coach he is. Um, he could coach any place I've ever been, and I would love to coach with him. Saban, there's a quote from Stuart Mandel, and we got to let you go, too. We appreciate it. said that he, had, he was more involved with the defense this year in quotations, put a little more stress on me, made me feel like maybe I wasn't doing as good a job as I needed to in other parts of our team. I just have a high standard for how I do things if I don't feel like I'm living up, etc. That was about just taking over part of the team. That was not a shot at steel, was it? No, no, okay. no. You just know why? Make sure, yeah. well, well, no, one of the things that, that happened, they had, and with the previous coordinator that, gone to, uh, that had gone to, um, Ole Miss, he wasn't pleased with the back end, with the secondary. And Kevin told me, Phil, he's running the secondary. He said, that's his baby. He said, but he's letting me tie it up. Uh, but Nick has always been involved with the defense, mm-hmm. just like I would be. I mean, that's what he does. And, and, and uh, no, I don't, I don't believe, but I think he wanted to be involved because they had young corners, they had young safeties, um, and, and, yeah, he was involved back there. Coach, I have to ask you before we let you go. They, the national championship was played on Monday night. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and I, Michigan. I, I went to it. Uh, yeah, I okay. Was right next to, oh. I was right next to, to Michael Jordan and Jeter. Oh, no. were you there? Oh. <laughs> hey. Yeah. No kidding. I, I, knew some, I, I knew some people who knew some people. Well, yeah, clearly we saw. Yeah, there was a shot up there of Stephen A., MJ, and Jeter. We didn't catch you there. I need to look closer and, and go well, back and rewatch I, I was that. Over, I was over there talking to Desmond Howard, telling him why Michigan was going to win. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you were in the, the spot to be then, of all spots to be for certain. But what was that like? And, and also, your thoughts on that game, Michigan winning the title, despite all the controversy during the season, Harbaugh and company getting it done over a very talented Washington team. Well, first of all, it was Houston did an unbelievable job. The atmosphere was really good. Uh, it was a rainy, rainy night. It wasn't wasn't ideal uh, setting, but they did a great job. The setup was exciting. The stadium was back. Uh, both teams were represented well, and it was really nice. Uh, I was able to set in gallery furniture spots at the forty-five yard line 
And one of the things I told uh, Desmond, I said it's going to be whether they can they can cover, you know, and pinch make pinch, uh, pinch not be uh, effective. And then the other thing, could Michigan do what they normally do in running the ball, which I thought they could. They did the first half, and I thought that sort of got Washington out of whack. Uh, I thought Jesse Minner, whose dad uh, is a dear friend of mine, we played high school football. Against you, you know he's a good East Texas guy, Dave. Is he from? And, where's he and, from? Gladewater? Or no, no, no. Rick Rick Manor's from Texas High. Oh, okay, that's all his, right. That, yeah. That's his. That's his dad. His dad was a long time head coach at Cincinnati. Good guy. Hell, we we played each other. He still laughed. He said we both got kicked out of a game because he was holding me and I kicked him. <laughs> but but um, anyway, they did they did a great job uh, defensively and they ran the ball now. I got to give Washington credit. Credit they they made some some good uh, changes at halftime. Did a good job stopping the run. And I'm telling you, if the game, if the the 48 yard pass would have been able to stand, I thought that was a very questionable holding mm-hmm. call. That could have that could have been a really special finish. Thank you, man. Great. Glad your voice is better too. You're feeling better. Hey, I, I, I was going to tell him you you sort of cut me off real fast last week. Well, I, I hope I, you don't. I hope you don't do your women like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> when they're not exactly to your oh, liking. Oh my god. Yeah, I, oh, my, you, you, oh my god. Now I'm going to tell him my dicks that I have something in common. Oh, all my, right. Hi, right, buddy. Thank you very much, Philip right, Uh Longtime coach from. Uh, all of the various angles of who it might be. And DeBoer still now seems to be the one picking up some steam with Norvell, a part of that conversation. Glad you asked him about the national championship yeah. game. Hell, he's you right the there. the booth of all booths. Played, I mean, yeah, yeah you have Stephen A. know that, yeah. but I was, I was like, I've had to do this a couple times now today because there's, I understand why. Like, it's just saving, saving, saving. But, like, the national title game was played four days ago, yeah, and yeah. we're – Which gets overshadowed. We're just, like, be. moving on to it, and I feel like, yeah, that, that was uh, – a good thing to throw in there, and I'm glad that I did because we got the the answer that we got from from him on on being up there talking to Desmond Howard. But okay. that, that must have been a real scene. That must have been amazing to be a part of that with MJ, et cetera. All right, when we come back, Craig Smokes off the radar, Tim Brando, Matt Flynn, who was recruited by Nick Saban to LSU out of high school in Texas, and Paul's top five, a lot to get to. This is 365 Sports. Wagyu Steak Auction coming up on Tuesday, January 30th. That's this month. That is January 30th this month. Some of you who watch this show and are a part of whatever you do, whether you're in the chat room or not, have been a part of these live auctions. You can bid in person or online. Their location, the the ranch, the Texas Beef House Ranch, located in White House, Texas, right outside of Tyler. Or you can go online and you can go to TexasBeefHouse.com for that specific information all wagyu steaks now offered in auctions tuesday january 30th you know the story uh premium aged wagyu beef from their pasture to your plate at texasbeefhouse.com Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL 
Fund. BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. GXG, empowering student-athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovi. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help is finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. This is Craig Smokes Off the Radar, presented by Alliance Bank. They take pride in making banking easy, AllianceBankTexas.com. All right, welcome into Off the Radar here on 365 Sports. And it is a Thursday at around 445, give or take. And so we got a few sports notes to get to here as we do on Tuesdays and Thursdays around this time. And don't worry, UCF fans, right behind me here. I got your back. You got my back in this show. There's a lot of them that have noticed there's a basketball uh, rim missing, that we need a basketball signed by. Well, we need to acknowledge what happened last night, so let's do that here. UCF men's basketball with the big upset win over Kansas last night, the number three Jayhawks. First win for UCF basketball in Big 12 play. Uh, Johnny Dawkins and uh, company uh, getting a, uh, a big win, rushing the court, uh, madness in Orlando last night, and uh, man, it was just really cool to see the social media attention and the uh, craziness that was going on. Uh, victory ranks amongst the most prolific in program history per their write-up on the game last night. The first against a top three nationally ranked opponent, only the second ever against a top five opponent, and their ninth ever win over a top 25 
opponent. Kansas at one point was leading by nearly 20 points. They had a 16-point lead in the first half, but UCF able to erase that and then uh, move on by them. So the first ever meeting uh, between those two also is the first ever Big 12 win, as I mentioned a couple times now, for the Knights. And um, yeah, just what a massive, massive victory for them. And Johnny Dawkins and company are, I'm sure, are still feeling the buzz, but we'll be able to like build hey. off of this. And for KU, like this is life in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. UCF's going to take their lumps at some point, but last night that was special stuff for that program. Hey, look, that's the biggest win in UCF history. And, may, and like, and they, they, it may be forever before they get another one that, that lands to that caliber. But yeah, that's so huge for them to be. Power Five first year beat the premier program uh, in the Power Five, one of the three premier programs in the country. The school that invented basketball, like literally invented it, they beat them. So, yes, it was huge for UCF and ruined my evening. Yes, I can imagine that it did. <laughs> uh, you, you are dealing with a lot of stress right now between I Mike am. Norvell I am. and the Alabama talk and uh, now with UCF taking down for, Kansas. Your beloved for, Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah. Florida oh, like, Norvell's up for the Alabama yeah. job. Yeah. Look, I've got FSU trying to like break a thousand-year contract. Mike Norvell may or may not be there when it happens. Um, you know, my wife's team uh, that, that she loves more than she actually loves me uh, – you know, goes down to Orlando and thinks that they're going to get a free trip to Disney World, and that didn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a rough it's been a rough 48 hours. I'm not going to lie. Well, we'll see how long the Norvell news takes. I'm sure Kansas will be just fine in the long run, but a massive win for UCF, 65-60 to 60 over number three Kansas. That wasn't the only top five upset last night as Mississippi State took down number five Tennessee in Starkville. So a couple of top five teams. Uh, you also had UConn that outlasted Xavier on the road. But uh, this college basketball season's already been pretty dadgum wild, and it's only going to get wilder as we move forward. But that was not the only upset uh, in college basketball, only pair. There was also another one in just the only other Big 12 game is TCU. Uh, jumped up and beat number nine Oklahoma uh, as uh, they – Get the job done in Fort Worth, 80-71, to 71, handing the Sooners just their second loss. So uh, I think, I don't know, like everybody's one and one basically in the Big 12, it seems like at this point. But uh, we are just getting started in what should be a wild run. And this mix of teams, you've already seen BYU do what they do. UCF with a big win like that. Cincinnati's very good. So um, And Houston, we know Houston's like right there near the top. But they've also... Purdue? Houston lost that number yeah, two team. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. been a lot of upsets, but I was speaking of the four new schools <laughs> yeah. and them coming in. Like, but this with their joining, it's as hectic as it's ever been. It would seem, and so I uh, definitely look forward to seeing how the rest of the uh, Big Twelve schedule and just the college basketball schedule plays out the rest of the way. But uh, fun stuff there last night. Saw this. This was a a pretty wild idea, and this is when your product is not popular enough you're trying to draw eyeballs to it but you've also maybe run out of ideas of how to make it more worthwhile I know we don't talk a lot of NBA on here but I saw this yesterday I just thought that this was interesting as uh, the NBA is looking to take their draft which is already just one night and it's two rounds and that's it and quite frankly past like the lottery picks it loses a lot of interest just halfway through the first round much less by the time you get to the second round but according to Adrian Wojnarowski, they are now talking about the 2024 NBA draft becoming a two-day event. 
June 26th and 27th in Brooklyn. They need final approval from the Players Association, but it was apparently talked about uh, at great length uh, in meetings with officials and executives, and they think they would benefit from having the split first rounds. This, to me, is like... You're just trying to come up with something to make it interesting, kind of like your regular season, because only part of it's really interesting. It's a three-round draft, a two-round two draft. Round They're going to move it into two days. Yes, and so that's why I just I saw that, and I was like, there's, what? There's 60 picks. Yeah. That's it. And and, it, and 49 of them don't go to the team okay. that picks them. Thank you for saying that. Here's how you fix it and make it more Thank interesting. You. yeah. Just do whatever the league does, and when draft picks get traded, have that dude walk up and hold the jersey of the gosh darn team yeah. that he's going to play for. That drives yeah. me insane. It, yeah. Like, look, there's a picture that Kobe Bryant holding a Hornets jersey that was just for show, and Hornets fans for the rest of their lives will have to think, "Huh, we let the Lakers trade Vlade Divac to us to draft Kobe Bryant. That seems like a really bad idea now." Yeah. Vladi was a hell of a player. He was, but he wasn't Kobe. <laughs> yeah, no, he was not he was not Kobe. But yeah, they're, so they're they're talking about making it a two night event and I even saw like the hardcore NBA fans who are like, I'm not watching night two. Like I have no interest in that. I know for certain I won't be unless there's some players involved that I just have to be looking out well, for. But night night two. People like Fran Frischilla love night two. Sure. Because it's where the guy from Luxembourg that yep, only he yeah, knows about yep, gets yep. picked up by the Pacers, but you know, so we've seen them try to treat their regular season and make it more interesting. This in-season tournament, it's like almost like with the NBA at this point. Like, just fast forward to the playoffs already. I mean, because that seems to be the only thing that mm-hmm. is hyper competitive and that everybody's on board with. But yeah, trying to stretch out the draft over two days. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, that that will be interesting to see what those night two ratings look like as compared to like a rerun of. Pardon the interruption or something like that, you know. So um, trying to trying to make things unique and, and worthwhile watching. Uh, meanwhile, uh, so much talk about saving this and saving that, but uh, the GOAT uh, in many people's eyes when it comes to the NFL, uh, also the, the guy who is thankful to have had Tom Brady for so many years, if you ask another crowd of people. But bottom line, just one of the best to ever have done it, Bill Belichick. Uh, agreeing with the Patriots to part ways after a star-studded career and many, many Super Bowl trophies. Uh, 24 seasons as the head coach there with New England and multiple Super Bowls, nine appearances, six titles, a 266 and 120 regular season record, and 30 wins out of 42 playoff games, number of Hall of Famers, so on and so forth. The greatest player who ever lived, Tom Brady, was a part of that run. Bill Belichick, uh, it's no longer uh, sunshine time in New England. It's a new era, and they will go now search for a new head coach, and he will go on, and we'll see what happens. But you could uh, see Bill this, Belichick's done. You could see this happening. This was one of those like Pete Carroll with Seattle. It was probably a good time to break, not like a Johnson and Jerry Jones thing, but Belichick maybe needs a little fresh air, and I think the, the Patriots do too. Uh, six well, Super Bowls. He 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 does, and he's not going to stop. Like unlike Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, Bill Belichick is fifteen wins away from Don Shula's record. Right. And as a person who is so appreciative of everything that's ever happened in the NFL, like Bill Belichick is, whatever you think of him, I was talking about him on my earlier show on the Triple Option, and the chat room basically like you know 
Belichick can go to hell, but so uh, like with Saban, yeah. so like the same thing with Saban. Well, it's way worse with Belichick, you know, because of all the which is the bigger story. The Saban story seems to get much more play, although that was yesterday, oh, I, not today. Yeah, also, I bet Belichick's going to coach again, so yeah, I think that that's that, why maybe that, it's yeah. it's unbalanced. But he's about to so two mediocre seasons in Atlanta or wherever he's going to go, and I think it's it's going to be Atlanta uh, if he if he wants to have a coaching job next week, it'll be Atlanta. If he wants to wait and see what happens in a couple weeks, if there's teams playoff teams that fire their coaches or whatever then you know of course he can he could probably just call up somewhere and say do you want to fire your coach yeah, yeah <laughs> and, i'm here and go, yeah, yeah. And, and go because he's the he's the goat in the nfl but yeah it's it's amazing that bill belichick and, and the patriots will not be a thing anymore so uh with the nfl i'll just leave it with this since we've uh we've got more coming your way but uh the playoff schedule for this weekend saturday and i guess just chime in where you'd want to paul uh cleveland at houston 3.30 on NBC. That will kick things off this weekend. Rooting for the Italian. Yeah, rooting for the Italian. <laughs> Joe Flacco. Yeah. It's, what it's, a great story. It's it's uh, it's so wild. All that noise about Deshaun Watson and everything, and here you go, and here the Browns are without him and have been doing it just fine. Against and, the Texans, right? And against the Texans, yeah. yes. Uh, so Houston hosting the Cleveland Browns at 3.30 Central Time on Saturday. That'll be followed by Miami at Kansas City, which should be a star-studded affair. And then on Sunday, triple header, starting off Buffalo hosting Pittsburgh at noon on CBS, followed by Dallas hosting Green Bay, 3.30 over on Fox, and then Detroit hosting the L.A. Rams, 7 o'clock on NBC. And then uh, turn around on Monday night, Monday night football playoff game, the Eagles at the Tampa Bay Bucks on ESPN ABC, and uh, that will round out a three-day NFL playoff weekend. So it should be a lot of fun to, to get all those games packed in and, and see who moves on to the next round of the NFL playoffs. Cowboys have not been to the NFC Championship game since 1995. They won their third of four Super Bowls. It is all there for them to take it. Open up at home, win against the Packers who used to torment you, even back in the 60s with Lombardi and Starr. And then move on to the next round against whoever it might be, probably Detroit, and have a chance to get back to where you haven't been since 1995. As long as Jordan Love didn't learn how to beat the Cowboys when they think they're going to win the game like Aaron Rodgers did, then that should be fine for the Cowboys who are great at home. But, uh, man, I'm nervous. I mean, couldn't it have been the Saints? Like, could it could have been a team that they have no playoff history with? Norvell takes Alabama's job. You have the situation at home with KU. And if the Cowboys lose in the first round of the playoff at FSU and the ACC, could it get any better? I mean, I'll, I just – that's where, I like, I might just leave sports behind and go be one of those guys who goes to Burning Man every year. I mean, just completely change my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Get into other things. Go hike. Uh, but look, not to mention, let's throw this on. The Red Sox have forgotten that free agency exists. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. I think a lot of people in baseball <laughs> yeah. have right now the way it's it's going. But, yeah, I know. Uh, there, there's their NFL playoff weekend coming up, a triple header uh, starting on Saturday, so very much looking forward to that. And there's a few things. Nick, you want to go ahead and get one more in? Tim Brando's good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, so there's a few things off the radar. Craig brought up the NFL playoffs. I just saw this from Dove uh, Kleiman uh, from the NFL. Look at Kansas City. The forecast has wind chills expected to be 30 degrees below zero on Saturday night when they're playing. If the windshield holds, only two games in history have been worse. The Cowboys-Packers game, the ice bowl on the Bart Star quarterback keeper, 
and the Chargers and Bengals in 1982. And shout out to the guy who at least he credited <laughs> yeah. for taking the actual pictures. I yeah. hate this so much about social media, man, yeah. of just swipe, uh, swiping people's stuff and not, you know, treat. I mean, he, he had tips, so that's that's fine. Yeah. But uh, I feel like well, he's those, an aggregator. Yes, and, and that, that's fine to an extent. We all do it to some extent, I think, if you're you're in media. But there's there's some that just like. Just take it. I don't know. It, it bothers me. So I'm glad that he at least gave the, the hat tip for the person who took the pictures because yeah. that's not always the case, and it should be. So Pierre Newsham, you know him, um, Smokey. Yeah. Uh, he was on the triple option with me today. He's a lifelong Dolphins fan. He had an offer for tickets to go to that game, and he was going to fly to Kansas City, and then he checked the weather report and said, nope, no, because they're probably just going to lose. And, you know, like it is the, like the Dolphins. It's, are, it's also going to be minus 30. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the weather would have made me stop more so than the the actual loss or anything like that. But um, yeah, I can I can see where he's coming from there. You know, it it, it is uh, to a point where sometimes you wonder. They even talked about that Cowboys Packers game on the Bart Star inter uh, this quarterback. It was unhealthy. That I mean, like guys had were frostbitten, and then it was just it's so unhealthy. But man, just the thought of that in Kansas City. There have been a couple of snow games. I think in Buffalo, they always love that. The NFL loves this. I think ratings for snow games. Are, it seemed to be like even higher because people love to see the field covered with the white stuff. We are now joined by Tim Brando, Fox Sports in Champaign, Illinois, for a basketball game. And, Tim, thanks for your time uh, as a guy that has covered college football as much as you have, and we couldn't go the rest of the week without your thoughts about Nick Saban. Well, there was a lot to take in yesterday when that drive from uh, uh, O'Hare to um, Champaign uh, around – Four four thirty in the afternoon as I was making my way in. It's about a two-hour drive. My phone was blowing up, as you might imagine. I, I'm not surprised, uh, really, at all. Um, I think maybe our sports broadcasting community and maybe the media in general uh, seemed surprised because most of the focus and attention since the national championship game was played was on you know, whether Jim Harbaugh was going to stay in Michigan or not, you know. So maybe that the timing of that is why um, so many people were uh, stunned, maybe. And especially, you know, I get it in Alabama and surrounding area because they they were hoping he'd never leave, you know, that he would coach until, uh, you know, he was six feet under. That they, they, they really wanted him to stay for as long as possible and were trying to put off the inevitable in their own minds for a long, long time. But I, I, I have stated this, and those of you that follow me on social media as well as uh, as a broadcaster have have seen, I think, many indicators that, that Nick was not pleased with the direction that the game had gone in from a coaching standpoint for him. I mean, he would never publicly uh, proclaim that he had as many issues with the transfer portal or with NIL as he did. And even today, I understand he was interviewed by uh, Reese Davis, and I'm sure Reese got as much out of him as possible. But from a public standpoint, he'll he'll never admit to that being um, a vital issue. But I guarantee it was a contributing issue. And uh, I'll go back to the summer before the 22 season when he said what he did about Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Um, and I think that there were other notable signs during the course of uh, this season at the beginning of the year when discussions about the quarterback position came up and the depth chart um, debacle uh, where he got really um, uh, crossways, I think, with a lot of the local media because 
Uh, he didn't want to put out a depth chart showing, um, you know, which which order he had his quarterbacks in, and that was, of course, during the time when they were trying to determine whether it was going to be Jalen Milrow or Jensen or or uh, or Buckner, who they had uh, uh, brought over uh, out of the portal out of Notre Dame with Tommy Reese. So I, all of that was a short temper with with that particular issue, which I thought was not in keeping with uh, with Nick Saban's. Um, Modus operandi. I, I thought that those were all signs to me that he was uh, uh, very uncomfortable with a lot of what was going on. But that being said, uh, the other thing I think he, he said today, and I haven't seen the interview, but I've read snippets from it, was that he, he felt drained uh, and that it just took so much more out of him this year to get that team where it was. I absolutely saw that. I could see that he was um, and I think in a lot of ways he did do maybe uh, as good or perhaps maybe the best job that he could possibly do in the last, you know, 10 or more years with this team to get them to the college football playoff. I mean, uh, that was not a very good team. And it wasn't a vintage team at all for them. I mean, they they almost lost at home to Arkansas. They needed a fourth and 31 to beat Auburn and yet, you know, managed to uh, – Stun, I think, the entire college football world, and especially the committee, when they beat Georgia in the SEC championship. I don't think anyone thought that Alabama was going to win that game. But that became, I think, um, a game that meant a great deal to him, that uh, if he was going to get out of the business after this season, he didn't want people to think that uh, he had lost his step, so to speak, in keeping up with Georgia, and particularly someone that had come from his his coaching tree, Kirby Smart. He wanted to make sure that he maintained that SEC championship edge with never having lost to him or Georgia in an SEC championship game, and he did. And um, that might have been one of his proudest moments, I think, as a coach with this team. So, But I think it did take a lot out of him. And uh, I, with that in mind, I was not surprised at all that this was the time. I think most of us felt like, Nick would wait until he won one more, meaning a national championship. I did think legacy, uh, getting past Bear Bryant to have seven titles there and eight overall, counting the one at LSU in 03, maybe meant something to him, but it didn't mean enough. You know, he, he had had enough. And uh, like any great coach uh, that has standards that he sets for himself, he, he, he knew that he was not going to, you know, either short-term or long-term or both, be up to the standards he set for himself, and that's why he decided to step away. Tim, uh, when it comes to replacing him, what qualities does that coach have to have to be successful, knowing that replicating that is uh, highly unlikely? Mm, You better have virtually no ego. It's going to take a special guy. Uh... I, my understanding is Dan Lanning, Kirby Smart, and uh, Sarkeesian have all been contacted and have all, uh, at least according to the reports I've read, have uh, passed. And I certainly understand that. Um, and that isn't to say that they have egos, but I think they're also well aware that uh, for coaching longevity, you're probably much wiser if you're not the guy that replaces the guy. You'd rather be the guy that replaces the guy that replaces the guy, <laughs> you know, um, ask uh, Phil Bin- Bin- uh, 
Phil Bingston about uh, replacing uh, Lombardi in Green Bay. You know, ask uh, anyone that tried to replace the Gary Cunningham who tried to replace and Gene Bartow who tried to replace John Wooden at UCLA in basketball. Um, it's it's really really hard. It's very very difficult. Uh, so, but but I think whoever does get the job, whoever does take it, is going to have to really be comfortable in his own skin. And, and also be confident that he can be um, the kind of coach and leader with the autonomy that he, uh, he believes he deserves with the long shadow cast of, Gene, uh, of, of a guy like uh, of, um, of Nick Saban's ilk in his midst. I mean, Nick's going to stay apparently there and he's going to have an office there. And I do know this. He has bought land. And is a member of a, a golf a golf course near and dear to many people in Jupiter, Florida. So mm-hmm. he's got a lot of houses. You know, he's got a place there, and he's got a place um, in Georgia, not far from Reynolds Plantation, where uh, there's a magnificent golf course that I've had the opportunity to play, and would remind a lot of people of Augusta. Uh, he's he's usually not playing golf there. He's usually out uh, uh, driving his boat and out with his kids and his family spending time. Uh, so I don't know exactly how much time in Tuscaloosa or at that office at Brad Denny that they say he's going to have. I don't know how much time he's been there, but he wants to be a factor in the uh, in the in the world of of, of uh, Alabama football. At least it seems that way. And so, with that in mind, um, his presence at any time is going to be one that uh, whoever replaces him as coach is going to have to be comfortable with, and and that's not easy. Uh, in a profession that is as uh, uh, valued as the, the job of being a head football coach at Alabama. Tim, uh, there's a clip going around of some Alabama fans who were like chanting no to Dabo, right? And I know his image has ca- taken a couple of dings over the last couple of years, but he's still got skins on the wall. He's got history there. Do you think Dabo's, uh, you know, where would you kind of rate him in, in your mind as far as the, the potential interest level there? Well, my guess is he's, very satisfied and happy that uh, the statues that are going to be put up at Clemson are going to be of him. Okay. That he won't be coaching where there are statues of Dean Stallings and, and Nick Saban. But, you know, if you're an Alabama guy and you, you were part of that Dean Stallings team that won the national championship. And he was as an original walk on in 1992, uh, there will be, obviously, uh, if the job is, is offered to him, It'll be that part, that side of him that will be, uh, I, I think, in a position to have to take stock and, and take a, a look at the opportunity if it, if it presents itself. Um, as for the fan base, if that were to happen, I think they've got to get over that. Uh, I think they've got to get over it fast. And I do think that that a guy like him would be, he would fit, in my opinion, um, the, the profile that I just gave you about the next coach would have to really have virtually no ego. And some people might think, well, Brando, uh, Dabo Sweeney's got an ego. Yeah, yeah, he does, but not the kind of ego that, that a lot of coaches would have about their relevance on the food chain of, of college football legends that are currently coaching with and are, and, and are sitting with multiple national titles. I mean, you got to respect what Dabo Sweeney's done. Regardless of you know how fans of Alabama feel, he he did beat the goat twice. Mm-hmm. 
and once he and one one time he beat them badly, beat them soundly. So um, I think they've changed their tune in a heartbeat. If it became a fait accompli that Dabo Sweeney was going to be the best they could get, um, but I don't know that that Dabo, as much as he loves it in Clemson and with the culture he created, uh, even though he's become a little bit of a whipping boy for. Uh, a lot of the media, uh, a, a real punching bag in the SEC. I mean, it's it's some of the things that are said on a regular basis by not just fans of Alabama, but Georgia and several other schools in the Southeastern Conference about Dabo is, is beyond the pale. Um, he was hard-headed about the portal and, and has been hard-headed about it uh, uh, and very vocally hard-headed about it. But as I said, I think that Dabo was simply stating and saying some of the things that Nick really feels but was never going to say publicly because he he was smart enough to realize that if you have to adjust and adapt to the way the game is played on the field, if you're going to hang around and be relevant for as long as, as, as he's been, you've got to be able to adjust and adapt with the way the game is played off the field. And that meant that uh, on some occasions you were just going to have to bite your tongue about how you feel about certain things. And, and, and listen, uh, Nick didn't despise uh, the portal or, or, uh, or NIL. He, he didn't. As a matter of fact, he got in trouble, okay, going after uh, supposedly, at least the media takeaway was, he got in trouble going after Jimbo for simply telling his donors, if you guys want me to continue to hold up these crystals, you're going to have to reach a little deeper into your pockets to keep up with these oil barons in Texas. All right, that's what got him in trouble uh, with a lot of people. And he was simply telling the truth at that time. He was. So um, I, I think he was just being honest about it. But it, but he would never publicly say that this is wrong. He just, I think, got tired of And I was at the shoot-around today. Uh, Tom Izzo talks to Saban pretty regularly, and he did after the Michigan game talk to uh, – to Nick, they've been friends since his days at Michigan State, and uh, Tom uh, really always said that it's a, it's a shame that they let him go. They they didn't realize that just for a little more money, they would have been able to keep him from going to LSU at that time. You know, he was not a popular choice at LSU when he was hired by then President Mark Emmert and uh, Joe Dean Senior was the AD at that time. He was really considered an outsider, an outlier. And a lot of people didn't know that much about him uh, in the South at that particular time. So, you know, Izzo thought they could have kept him if they had just shown how badly they wanted to. And uh, it's one of the reasons why Michigan State doled out all that money uh, that they did for the coach that they ultimately had to get rid of mm-hmm. was because they, they were in a similar situation where they didn't want to lose a coach that they felt for the long term would have been the, the best guy to have. And so they – they upped the ante, and and um, and you saw what happened there. But uh, the the word on the streets among some people in the coaching profession is that uh, there were some parents of some of the players in question that you're trying to hold on to, and uh, and some of them may have indicated, hey, you know, if you can't come up with this amount, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go someplace else. And I think a lot of old school coaches might, you know, they may have to draw the line at a certain point. You know, and say, and that's happening everywhere. Okay, it's it's not it's not as if uh, Nick Saban had to deal with a disgruntled parent that was wanting more money for his kid. That that's every coach in America dealing with the portal is dealing with that. 
football and basketball. I mean, it's going on. And um, But for it to be going on at this stage of someone's career like his, uh, I, I think at a certain point you just say, why do I want to put up with this? And um, if that's the case, and that happened with a player or two or three, I don't know, but that's the word on the street that that, that may have been happening. And, and, and I think that that may have helped him make that decision uh, put in cement, so to speak. Um, he, but he was already thinking, I think, for quite a while, maybe through the entire back half of the season, that this was going to be it. I'll tell you this about Saban, because I've known him since he was at Michigan State and, and got to know him uh, more closely, obviously, when he was at LSU. My daughter was actually in school there. My oldest child was in school there when he was coach, and they won the national title in 03. And, uh, of course, I was working at TBS, and uh, I was decrying the BCS situation that particular season about USC not having a strength of schedule that was going to get them in the BCS championship game turned out to be right. And, uh, and LSU did, of course, and they got the game with Oklahoma to win, uh, the BCS title while the AP title was given to, uh, USC and uh, kept their championship run going with, uh, Pete Carroll and those guys. But, but, um, during that period, I got to know he and his wife well, some other members of the family, and he's got a close circle, a very close circle, but, People don't realize how many people in his family, his extended family, that he's been taking care of, if not supporting. It's plentiful. Uh, he's, his West Virginia roots are very, very strong, and the ties uh, to his family and helping everyone in his family is something he's been doing since he started making uh, a, a lot of money, and that really started for him uh, during his days at LSU. Tim, I know you got a broadcast to do. <clears throat> Wouldn't you love for him to sit down with Charlie Baker and uh, if there was a symposium and not just a meet-to-meet and have Nick Saban try to help fix everything? Well, I wouldn't want it to be with Charlie Baker. Uh, <laughs> I would prefer I would prefer it be with uh, Tony Petiti, okay. Greg Sankey, yep. Brett Yormark, and, 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 re- uh, and all the other commissioners of the – FBS, Division One college football area. I don't think the NCAA has any business being involved in college football Division One any longer. I really don't. I think the NCAA has they, – they did this to college football. Okay, these headaches that we're dealing with and uh, a portal that has no guardrails and an NIL that has uh, no salary cap. They are the ones responsible for this. Now, look, Charlie Baker's a politician, mm-hmm. uh, and he came in, I think, saying a lot of the things that we wish the NCAA had been saying 20 or 30 years ago. But guess what? It's too late. They kicked the can down the curb mm-hmm. for 15 years during NIL from the moment those lawsuits were filed. Okay? And in basketball, that's what began it. You know, uh, that's what began it, the UCLA lawsuit from the player and that's what began all of this and we've seen this coming for a long time but the NCAA did nothing about it and really put the pinch on all the administrators at these power conferences in football because the NCAA didn't have any uh, any financial stake in what was going on with college football now they do in basketball and they do in the women's game and and they certainly do with the non-revenue producing sports and they can do a fine job of running those tournaments. And they need to help the 
the basketball coaches, yes. But but I think the first and foremost thing to protect Division One college football is for the commissioners of those conferences. Okay, and this is vital in my view because I've said this for years, and Nick and I talked about it when I did a one-on-one with him back in 2016 on a program that won us a lot of Emmys uh, called Football Saturdays. I asked him, what do you want to do after your days as a coach? And it was one of the very few times that he would allow himself to speak well in advance, okay, of his future. And he said, Tim, first and foremost thing I would want to do is help make it better. Help make college football at the Division I level better in every aspect. I'd like to help the institutions. I'd like to help the players. And and I'd like to, 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 to make sure that college football is protected and that it, it grows and that the, the interest level grows well beyond what it is just in the South but in every other corridor of the country. Well, that's exactly what I've been saying for years we need to do with expansion of the college football playoff, with realignment, all the different growing pains that you and I and uh, have talked about here since you guys have had me on your show. And that is not in line with the NCAA, okay? The NCAA is getting in the way. The NCAA is who decided to leak stories about the Michigan coach to the media to undermine their run to a national championship so that it was not the number one story. It was, in fact, the wrongdoing. And let's force the Big Ten commissioner to uh, implement uh, a sportsmanship rule so we can get him off the field for three more games. I mean, that's, that's not helping college football. It's not. And it was the NCAA and its investigators that were back-channeling that story through the media to turn that into a circus throughout the entire fall football season. No, I don't want Nick Saban talking to the NCAA. I want him talking to the people that govern college football at the Division One level first and foremost. Now, if the NCAA wants to jump on board and be helpful, if they want to change their approach, yeah, I'm okay with Charlie Baker being involved. But to this point, as an institution, the NCAA has been nothing more than a neo-colonial outfit that has been lining its pocket for years on the sweat and backbone of the players that have been playing that sport for years. And now it's up to everybody else to find a way to fix it because the NCAA has done nothing but undermine it. So if Baker wants in, fine. But the leaders of college football at the Division One level need to understand that they can't count on the NCAA to do a damn thing for college football at the Division One level. They need to count on themselves, and they need to find a way themselves to put up the guardrails that are necessary to regulate this situation with the NIL and the transfer portal that is now absolutely completely out of control. So much so that someone that loves the game to the extent that Nick Saban loves it felt the need that, you know what, I'm done. I think I can help the sport another way. You know, Nick loved it too much. In my mind, if, if there's something that I think Nick Saban would have preferred to have done, if not walk away now, it would have been to find a way to help the sport as a head football coach before stepping into another role. But he couldn't do that because he's coaching a team. And people would always take what he thought he was doing for the best interest of the sport and say, no, 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 this is all about 
Nick and, and the selfishness to keep Alabama in the top spot. And, and I think Saban understands that now that he's out of coaching, uh, his new team can be all of college football. And, and as a leader, he can, he can bring the suits together. They'll listen to him. And I think he can also uh, go into a room filled with so-called uh, legislative bureaucrats of the sport and get them to listen to him. So he could be a great liaison to bring both sides together so that the people that are involved that are making these decisions have someone there that's with them that can also tell them the needs of those players playing because none of those commissioners understand exactly the world Nick Saban's been in, just like they don't understand the, the world that the players live in. And and, uh, and I think that's what he really wants to do. And it's been on his mind, like I said, for at least seven years because I broached the subject with him when we talked in March of, 19, of, uh, March of 2000. 16 after they had won the national championship the first time against Clemson and uh, and he was willing to talk about it then much the conversation we that we had was very similar to the one he had with Reese Davis today Tim good luck with the broadcast tonight in Champaign and all the other rest of the games you have this season we always appreciate the insight be safe thanks for your time and have a great night Thank you, Smoke. Great being with you guys. You, you got know that. As Anytime. always, Tim Brando, Fox Sports in Champaign, Illinois, for a men's basketball game. When we come back, we'll hear from Matt Flynn, who was recruited to LSU by Nick Saban. Paul's top five. This is 365 Sports. Marco's Pizza, pizza lovers. Get it, marcos.com, where you can go online and order what pizza you want. And there are numerous code words there for you. Uh, it could be for the pepperoni magnifico, the sausage magnifico. The two of them combined magnifico loaded up with pepperoni and also sausage. Or uh, it could be for the pizza bowls that are kind of uh, just smaller and a little bit more contained, if that's what you want, with what you would have on a normal pizza, but in a pizza bowl type style. Sandwiches, wings, soft drinks, salads. But Marco's Pizza, the fastest-growing pizza brand in America, five locations in Waco, in Hewitt, Woodway, Robinson, Bellmead, and in China Spring, throughout the country growing, and great pizza at Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers, get it, marcos.com. It takes time to reach goals. It's a truth that applies to more than sports. It goes for your financial goals as well. You work hard for your money, and you deserve an investment strategy that lines up with your game plan. And Chuck Verneau, your Edward Jones financial advisor, can help. If financial investments aren't putting forth the effort you desire, stop by today for a financial review. Chuck Verneau, 720 North 64th Street in Waco, 254-732-1161. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Shop savings during the Start Something New sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Right now, get a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie Crew Cab four-wheel drive with 15000 off MSRP or 2.9% for 72 months only at Allen Samuels in Waco. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. 
Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Bring in the new year with unbeatable savings on the new 2023 Ram trucks during the wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Take advantage of this limited-time opportunity and start the new year in style. Shop our great selection in-store or online today. Samantha Duvall, TexasBeefHouse.com, farm-raised Wagyu beef, and of course, it is spectacular. We've discussed it all the time, and you were right back when you had that that online auction that went so incredibly well, that live auction, too, that you were going to have more and more of them, and you've got one, again, scheduled for the end of the month. Yes, so we've got another live auction, so it'll be in person or you can bid online coming on Tuesday, January 30th. And we're going to have dinner beforehand at 5 o'clock. We're going to have smash burgers. Um, We're also going to have some of our steaks for steak tasting. That Mm. way you can taste test it and then bid on it. And then the auction will start at 6.15. So you'll be able to bid um, at our place um, in person here in Tyler, Texas, or you can bid online at cci.live. Tuesday, January 30th. And don't forget, you can also use the code SICKEMPIN for 10% off your order. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at texasbeefhouse.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones Investments and financial advisor Chuck Verno, who'll navigate you through today's financial climate. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Here we go, 365 Sports. What a day, what a couple of days. I mean, even when the Bill Belichick news, really because of us being so heavy college football doesn't even get much uh, mention other than what we said a little bit. It's because of the Nick Saban retirement. Somebody that played for him, was recruited by him out of high school at Lee High School in Tyler to LSU is Matt Flynn, who also had a long NFL career. Matt, thanks for your time. Craig, Paul, and I'm David Smoke, and great to hear from you again. What was the pitch that Matt, that, uh, that Nick Saban gave you to come to LSU? Well, first, Smokey, it's good to talk to you. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. Too long. <laughs> it has been too long. Um, you know what? It's, it's hard to believe, but that is, uh, shoot, it's over over 20 years now since uh, my senior year of high school, and, and I was getting pitched. And I remember recruiting was a lot different back then. It was, wasn't was so much getting recruited out of uh, middle school and early high school. It was kind of more of a, a blip on you when, you're, when you became a junior. I just remember, um, you know, lots of scholarships coming in really, really fast as a junior, uh, junior spring training going into the senior year. And I knew that I wanted to get my recruiting done pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I actually had some offers early on in the spring, and I decided to go to some camps and, and everything uh, to see, you know, go to Alabama camp, LSU camp. I kind of fallen in love with the SEC at that time. Um, and I went to – LSU camp early in the summer after my junior year and 
Nick Saban, this is when he was a uh, younger, full of a lot more vinegar than he is present day. Um, he ran a, a one heck of a hard high school football teaching camp. I remember telling my my dad after the first day, I was like, "Look, I, there's no way I'm going here. Like, this is this is intense. This is it's hot. There's just no way." And my dad, he uh, he said, "Let's give it another day. Let's give it a shot. Let's do it." And the next day, I just I, I fell in love with the place. Uh, fell in love with uh, you know Coach Saban's teaching style. You know, at that time, Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator. It just all seemed. It all came together, and I'm glad I, I'm certainly glad I gave it that one more day at camp. Um, but I do remember also at spring training about a month or two before that. Um, that was when, again, recruiting rules and everything were different. Window coaches could come and see you, uh, could fly and come to spring practice. And I remember, uh, I remember Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher flying in to come and watch me um, at a football practice and they couldn't talk to me. So they had to, I remember Mike Owens had to sit there and kind of like mediate for me what what they wanted to share with me. Like these guys want to offer you a scholarship and they want you to come visit because the rules were they couldn't speak to you directly. But um, that was kind of my first introduction to him. Didn't know anything about him at the time. Um, But man, he's, uh, he was a good recruiter and he was extremely intense. But, uh, yeah, it just all kind of worked out for me and decided to commit a couple of months or actually a couple of weeks after I got back home from that camp. What was it like being – I mean, you had two intense coaches, Jimbo Fisher and then obviously you know he's your direct coach as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, and then being coached by Nick Saban. I know he coached hard, but did you ever feel like it was, it was too hard or was it just like the, the perfect amount of what you needed? <laughs> you know, when you're an 18 year old kid out of high school, uh, you had to become a man really quickly. If you look down that whole coaching line, I mean, from Jimbo to Will Muschamp to Nick Saban, that like everybody, all the strength coaches, all the assistant coaches, ended up in head strength coach jobs and head coaching jobs eventually. Right after that, it was just it was an all star cast of a coaching staff, and it was one of those. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not home anymore. Situations when I got to LSU, it was intense. And look, I I had grown up and played high school football at a very intense school. Mike Owens, he ran a really tight ship. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it was kind of old school coaching. And you go and you play for Nick Saban when you know he's you know kind of sort of a new head coach. He had his Michigan State run, but new at LSU certainly. And um, he had a lot of energy. I'll say that. And I'll give you. I'll give you a story. I remember training camp my uh, my freshman year. I mean, we're in we're in August in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right next to the Mississippi River. And if you hadn't been down there, you don't really know what humidity is. Um, and we're sitting there, and this is we're in the dog days. This is back when you know you could do two a days, and we were doing two a days and hitting and doing all sorts of stuff. And I remember sitting there in stretch line. This is probably week. This is probably like day four or five, where everyone's still sore. And everyone's tired. Um, and I'm sitting there stretching. I'm on the ground, laying down, doing my hamstring stretch or whatever. And right on the other side of the LSU practice field is like a little, like a little uh, practice uh, teaching, like oil refinery, oil burn off. Um, so they're burning off some some gas, natural gas, whatever it is. There's like this big flame on the other side of our practice field. 
And so I'm sitting there, and it's so hot that the, the you can see the waves in the air. And I look up, and I'm, I'm miserable at this point. I don't know if I'm regretting my decision to go to LSU at the time or what, but um, I look up, and I see Saban walking towards me on the field, and it's all wavy, and I'm looking at him. He's like his blurry vision, and he's walking at me screaming, and right behind him is like this huge flame coming over his head. It was like it was like the, the – <laughs> It was like at that time, I was like, man, it's like the devil himself coming to get me right here, uh, walking right at me. Um, and it was just one of those moments I'll never forget. It was just, it was funny, but it was, uh, I played for him for two years, and he's the GOAT for a reason. An incredible coach, incredible intensity, incredible, um, you know, I, I don't, there's there's no more adjectives or words to describe. I mean, people have been talking for two days on, on social media, media about all the greatness that he is. And he is all of those things. And, um, you know, his decision to offer offer this kid from Texas uh, a scholarship to LSU changed the trajectory and changed my life forever for the good. And, you know, I'll, I'll always be grateful for him. Matt, what was it like to see him go off? Uh, obviously, he would leave for the Dolphins before your LSU career wrapped up, but you, you won a title a few years later. But to then see him go off to Alabama as well, were you always kind of keeping tabs on him? Were you remaining in touch, or were you just kind of observing from afar? And, and your thoughts on, you know, at the time as he was going through that and winning all those titles, just, just you mm-hmm. know, being a witness to all that? Yeah, I mean – as an LSU grad, I certainly did not like it. One bit. Uh, Figured that. Uh, sound of champagne corks popping yesterday in Louisiana uh, when he when it was announced that he was retiring. Um, but certainly, I, I didn't stay in touch with him as much as I certainly would have liked to. Um, I was never his starter in college. I was young. I was I was a redshirt freshman in my redshirt freshman year when he decided to go to Miami. Um, but it was my senior year of college when he w- went to Alabama. So we got to play them in Tuscaloosa um, that year, my senior year that we won the national championship. Uh, we beat them in Tuscaloosa. And that was one of those games when he signed with Alabama. Um, the, the fan base probably that year couldn't have cared less if we went 1-11 and on the year. Uh, as long as we beat Nick Saban in Alabama that year, uh, his first year back. And, Mm. Yeah, we we made it a little we made it a little dicey, but we we ended up beating them. And I just remember him coming out, and you know, a lot of us were a lot of us on that team, a lot of the starters were recruited by Saban. Um, and he made it a point to come and see each one of us individually on the field, give us a hug, tell us how proud he was, proud he was of us. And uh, you know, I'll never forget that for sure. But uh, certainly, his uh, his reign of terror for LSU fans um, started after that year. Uh, which, you know, I'm, I guess, fortunate that uh, I wasn't there for that time. Matt, I want to uh, – Garrett Ross is the producer of our show, and he is mm-hmm. thick with Go Tigers. Garrett, you have a question? Do you want to say hi to Matt? He's a lifelong LSU fan. It's good that you're good on man, the show. Garrett. No, yeah, I appreciate it, Matt. No, I mean, I guess my question would be, like, what – I guess looking back on your career – when you look at LSU, what was the biggest uh, what, what was the biggest draw besides Saban, and what would you tell any player going down there to expect from the culture and the fan base in Baton Rouge? Yeah, you know what? It's um, you know not to take anything away from anything, but I you know I grew up you know uh, my whole family went to Baylor. My dad played quarterback at Baylor. I grew up going to Floyd Casey Stadium every every single weekend. 
I didn't really know anything outside of that. And I actually just fell in love with the SEC at the time. Uh, I guess it was my sophomore, junior year of high school. Actually, randomly enough, in Tuscaloosa at an Alabama versus Tennessee football game. It was, I had never seen anything like it, uh, from the tailgating to the pageantry to the intensity to, to everything. Um, you know, maybe that was because I was, at the time, this was early, you know, when I was going to all the Baylor games, it was, you know, at the time, Baylor probably never drew as much as they should at, at different places. But the, uh, the I, I just fell in love with the SEC right there. I remember uh, Casey Clawson was the quarterback for Tennessee, and he was throwing to Jason Witten, that tight end. And uh, I remember a lot about that game, and I said, I want to go play in the SEC. Um, and then that's when I started looking around. And, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher was a huge catalyst for me to go to LSU. Uh, he was a really good recruiter. Um, uh, you know, Saban, Saban was a great recruiter himself. But at LSU, with Jimbo as the offensive coordinator, he was really more on the defensive side of the ball. So I didn't, you know, see him a ton. But uh, I think when I, I, I fell in love with LSU um, – just going down there a couple of times. I went down there for a junior day and then, of course, the camp. Um, and then just being around and just, I don't know. It was, you know, it was an easy enough drive for me to get back home also in college. So it was just a good location. It was good everything. I fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the uh, South Louisiana. Um, you know, I, I still live here in Baton Rouge today. And, uh, yeah, I, I just knew early on in high school that I wanted to go play in the SEC. Matt, it's great to have you, man. Uh, and I know Jimbo Fisher, as you mentioned, had a great influence on you, too. Were you surprised it did not work out at A&M? I was a little bit surprised. Um, well, I, I was surprised for sure. Jimbo is a, is a really good coach and a really good recruiter. Um, you know, he's, again, he's one of those intense guys that wants it his way. Um, but in a, in a good way, that, that you need that in coaching. You, you, you have to have that. Um, and it, and it made me a better player for it. It made me a better professional for it. Um, so yeah, I was shocked, um, a little bit how it worked out just because of the talent, but it, it, look, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot when you, when you go into the SEC like that in the SEC West, um, especially it's, um, you can't have off weeks. Uh, you can't be stagnant. And I think that they're, I, I think their offense just, uh, kind of, uh, wasn't able to keep up with the times a little bit. Um, didn't change enough. Um, and that's from a very outside perspective, not watching like actual game film, just watching TV copies and things like that. But um, yeah, I, to, to answer your question, I was surprised because I do believe he is a good coach and a good man. Matt, uh, always appreciate hearing from you. You're right, it's been too long. I had a chance to visit with Alvin and Ruth earlier today. Tell your parents we said hi as well. Thank you very sure much will. and uh, appreciate the insight. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Matt Flynn, former LSU quarterback and a long time, had a hell of a career uh, at LSU. I mean, with the uh, excuse me in the NFL, including a game when he came into Texas and beat the Cowboys when they were down at one point, I think, in that game, twenty six to three. Well, when he, he played for the yeah, Packers, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers got knocked out of the game. I was I remember it well. Uh, I was I was there. And I was on my way. Guy who's got uh, some interesting connections? We could ask him about Saban, Jimbo. Aaron Rodgers. And Pete, yeah. we, Pete I mean, Carroll. We left out Pete, Pete Carroll. He played for he Pete Carroll for a, a little bit. I mean, but, yeah. Yeah, that's, so. a hell of a, that's a hell of a tree that he put up and made a good living doing it, too. Uh, when we come back, Paul Catalina and his top five. 
It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. So, yesterday we were going to do this Top 5 Big 12 NFL Draft Prospects. So, I'll go through the conferences and do this intermittently. Now, look, if, if Saban's replacement is hired tomorrow, I will have a Top 5 list of, you know, the best five people to replace whoever that is at the place uh, that they are. And then we'll do that for, you know, the inevitable chain of who replaces who at where. Uh, because whoever replaces Saban is going to be replaced at their place. And then that place is going to have to hire somebody unless they just elevate a coordinator and then then we can be done with it. But um, Or hire somebody who's, who's not currently coaching right now. But top five uh, Big 12 NFL draft prospects. And I will throw out uh, an honorable mention here. I, I did not put him on here, but Josh Newton, cornerback at, at TCU, uh, is like he would be 5A, but I, I just couldn't get him on here. And I could have just done all five from Texas, but I didn't want to do that. So number five. Patrick Paul tackle in Houston. This is a a road grader, and he was the best player on the Cougars this year. I know you don't hear about the tackles that often, but should go in the first probably 40 picks, I would think. Patrick Paul at Houston, a really, really tough offensive lineman, someone who who can run block and pass block very well. Has been through a couple different offensive systems, so um, you know that that to me is kind of a good thing going to the NFL, and that uh, you can be flexible, but one that's very highly thought of and the best player from the Houston Cougars this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Willie Fritz is going to have some things to work with. They're resetting that program in so many ways, and he should have uh, Patrick Paul. And uh, I don't know well, about – Well, Patrick Paul's going to the NFL. He's in the draft. Right. He'll have yeah. that to market oh, yeah. uh, what they're doing moving yeah. forward and to build off of and using recruiting. So, yeah, that's a nice thing to have as he moves in there is to have the NFL – um, stuff to, to use as ammunition in the recruiting brochures and uh, have a recent draft pick uh, from the program that you can sit there and point to with the graphics team, social media, and all that when the time comes. Um, Houston's had a good run with the NFL draft picks, and I'd expect that to continue on with Willie Fritz. But, yeah, they've, they've certainly got a guy to have their eyes on this year. Number four. Byron Murphy at Texas. I went back and forth. You could have done slash Tavondre Sweat. I just think Tavondre Sweat, because he's so big, sometimes those guys have long lives in the in the league, like Gilbert Brown and Ted Washington and Vince Wilfork, who, I mean, he certainly reminds me of, of those guys physically in his performance at Texas, and we'll see. But Byron Murphy, to me, as far as the modern defensive tackle goes, this is the guy who people are looking for. And super athletic can move around the line, do a lot of different things, and just he's he's cat quick uh, off the ball. Really a tough, tough player. Uh, you know, you could swap him and, and Tavondre Sweat out, or I could have slashed it, but this to me, I think just because of the way his body type is and the way that pass rushing is a little bit more uh, important now than it ever used to be, Byron Murphy may be more of the fit here in the top five prospects. Number, I, I, I oh, love yeah. that he's, he's, he's a disruptive Active, he can both stop the run and also has the ability. I think you'll get some sacks in the NFL. Yeah, I, I do too. Number three, uh, this is a cornerback in TJ Tampa, Iowa State, who is one of the best tacklers uh, in the secondary. Uh, he is just a dog in coverage. You cannot like just bet that you're going to get open on him. Uh, he he fits. 
a lot of different defensive schemes, whether it's like the Dan Quinn big cornerbacks or the big Belichick, you know, guys who can kind of cover in a lot of different ways. There are so many different defenses that he would fit in. Uh, he's not going to be maybe a first-round quarterback because there's probably three guys ahead of him in that, and um, this probably came down to him and Josh Newton. I think T.J. Tampa, in my opinion, is just a little bit more NFL-ish right now, but I love T.J. Tampa from Iowa State, and I think he will be a very good NFL player. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He's got nice size. I mean, not a, not a huge dude, but he's got you know your kind of prototypical uh, average size uh all over the field making plays, and it uh, was a lot of fun to watch at Iowa State. Uh, sat out there bowl game, obviously, to, to start getting ready, as you don't blame guys for doing that these days. But, uh, man, what a, what a great player and one that I know they'll be able to, to probably, with Matt Campbell there, find some replacements sooner rather than later. But uh, that was one of their better players this uh, not only past year but uh, past couple of years. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to have a great pro career, I would think. Number two, Tyler Guyton, offensive lineman from Oklahoma. He'll be a, uh, maybe a first-day pick, definitely a second-day pick, an early second-day pick. Uh, but uh, the best offensive lineman on the Sooners this year, it's going to be a gigantic hole for them to fill there. I'm sure they'll do it fine. But, Craig, uh, you know how good this guy's been over his career at, at, at OU. Yeah, he's a, he's a good player. Um, I think uh, – his NFL draft stock is going to be really fun to, to see kind of how high he goes. But, yeah, big dude, uh, experienced, and, uh, you know, Oklahoma has got a, a lot of irons in the fire right now when it comes to the mood of the SEC, but they're going to have a lot of guys when you look at this NFL draft that'll be, um, you know, fun to watch, and he's right there at the top of the list. So, yeah, excited to see where he lands. Man, they, they have him entering the NFL draft. They've had a bunch leave the portal. Their offensive line is a work in progress. I don't know about how much they have coming back, but that does seem to be a position of need and one that was been, has been hit pretty bad. Yeah, that's one that gets criticized probably as much as anywhere now uh, is Bill Biedenbaugh, whether it's his recruiting or, or whatnot. I feel like I just see his name pop up, and it may be just the timing of when I'm looking after whatever game it may be or, or whatever part of the week it may be. I just happen to catch that more than I catch any other flack for, for most other coaches. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done a – you know, good job, but um, not quite what you expected necessarily this this past season or, or you won overall. But, yeah, Tyler Guyton's a, a good player. Uh, for the fans asking me about Cooper Beebe, he's not on the list. He would have been if there were, like, if I took Texas and Oklahoma out of this, Cooper Beebe would have certainly been on the list. But since they are Big 12 players this year and they were Big 12 players the whole career, I left them on there. But I do – uh, love Cooper Beebe as well. Uh, and one, uh, I agree with my fellow Cowboys fans in here that uh, that would be a great pick for them uh, if they got him and move uh, Tyler Smith out to left tackle. But number one, uh, and this guy just screams NFL wide receiver to me, um, Adonai Mitchell, he is, uh, you know, when you need a touchdown, that's the guy you go to. When you need a big play, that's the guy you go to. Uh, and, you know, looking at wide receiver stats overall, like not everybody can be like Marvin Harrison Jr. have a, a thousand catches or whatever. But, you know, in a draft that's really heavy in wide receivers, um, you know, he might get pushed to the to the, the middle or the back of that pack because there's some guys that are probably a little more highly thought of of him. But as it comes to the big 12 players that I think go to the NFL that based on today's NFL will be the most successful, I think this guy is uh, 
is pretty rock solid in that regard because of all the things he can do athletically. Of all the weapons Texas had, the one that threw the ball to when the game was on the line to maybe play for a national title was that kid right there, that young man. That's what they did in in general when they yeah, needed to play no, at the yeah. end of the game, and that was just the one time it didn't work was in that national title game. Really, um, you thought that was going to connect just based on the – I mean, he knew where the ball was going. That's their big play wide receiver uh, in crunch time. And um, so, to be clear, this is your ranking yeah. because he might not even be the first Texas receiver taken. No, with, with I, Xavier like, Worthy. I, I like it. I like them both. Yeah. Like again, I just think as far as like Xavier Worthy is a, a smaller dude. Oh, I like Ad Mitchell better. Yeah. but yeah, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, that he's question. a smaller guy, so I just. When it comes down to that, like, if it had been a top 10 list, obviously Xavier yeah. Worthy's on there. Zach Frazier from, from West Virginia's on there because I know I saw you. Uh, like, those guys are on there. But, it, you know, when you're doing a top five, it's tough. And yeah. I picked him because of the size plus the – the kind of different things he'll be able to do. But Xavier Worthy can go and be a kick returner for somebody next year and just run go routes and probably be in the rookie of the year conversation if he gets the right Well, plus system. he might be in a special but, teams player. But, yeah, because he's – but he is a smaller guy, so I think that when that translates to the NFL, like sometimes, like, you know, the, the defensive backs, like, they're just so much bigger. Like, you don't – Yeah. It's, it, it's tough, so. Yeah. yeah, that's why I asked that question just to clarify. But, yeah, I, I love Mitchell as a player – um, Worthy was, you know, a guy who was more, I guess, consistent catching the ball. I just got the ball more, right? But Mitchell was like that big play, need the touchdown here, jump up and go grab it away. And uh, I loved watching him. And he had a knack for that at Georgia as well. Had the, you know, big dramatic touchdown before he ended up transferring to Texas back in the uh, in the playoff. But, uh, yeah, he's a really good player. And uh, this will be the last time you – I guess I have to worry about Texas or Oklahoma players crowding it, Big 12 fans, because this is the last go-round where they'll be under the Big 12 umbrella, but certainly the timing of it, Texas has a good number of uh, of the the picks this year as far as the top guys go with all of their, their entries into the draft. So they're going to be a part of the conversation in a heavy way compared to other years where they were little to no part of the conversation. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're ending on a high note. Oklahoma remains to be seen a little bit more, but – Yep, uh, this is the last go-around of a draft where those two are contributing to the uh, Big 12 totals, and that'll be interesting to see with the new teams of kind of where those numbers go. Do they drip uh, down dramatically as far as overall draft picks by conference well, or I the mean, number of teams you brought in, like six teams yeah. to replace them? It's not like Texas was filling up the NFL draft the last But they're about years, to have so about six no, guys this year. I know, year, yeah. but yeah, finally. Yeah, yeah it's Finally, yeah, yeah, I get it. But I'm just saying, that, yeah, they're going to have a bunch of guys this year and so you just you know moving on, they're not going to be a part of the mix at all. So it'll be interesting to see how those draft totals go without those two teams. If you don't mind, when you join us, whenever it is during the day, three to six, uh, or whatever shows you're watching, including the triple option, hit the like and or subscribe us. Uh, three sixty five Sports, we would appreciate that. That always helps us out too, and we appreciate it if you do. Whatever time you give us every day. Here on 365 Sports. This is an interesting note from KJR Radio. That's Softy Station in Seattle. Kalen DeBoer live in studio, which is apparently a little bit of a different twist than normally maybe on the phone. And that could also be because the season's over. But the fact that they're saying in studio, I'm not sure what that could mean or insinuating but I mean, it's, that's a really polite way for him to say goodbye and take yeah, the other. It's also a, a, a thing that KJR should put up yeah. there. And on if the he were Texas to do that, thing, that'd be the best villain move ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Be roll yeah. in there and be like, oh, you thought that I was staying because yeah, I was doing just this. wanted thing. to say goodbye to you guys. We love you, uh, Softy and, if, and Dick. If it's not him, um, 
And he's going to go ahead and announce he's coming back. Well, you're on the clock, Mike Norvell, unless you take what he tweeted out earlier as a sign that he's staying. But him, Dabo, where's your statement? You know, these guys are going to have to come out with their own little proclamations well, of their yeah. intentions. I think it'd be a Locksley, baller move if they don't. Eli Drinkwitz, all of them. Yeah, I think it's here. a baller move that they don't. Uh, they, it, well, although what I thought Dan Lanning today, that was flawless what he did. Uh, uh, yeah, Kim going smoky, taking shots across the Texas bow. They've put a lot of players in the NFL, but there has been a lot more not in recent years, and this year they'll yeah. fill it up. No but Oklahoma, question. when they weren't putting them, when Texas wasn't putting them in, Oklahoma was still putting six, seven guys a year in the draft. So they're still a good representation. That's all, both, no matter yeah. what year you pick, is about to be gone. So Arizona and Utah and, and BYU and Houston, all the schools that have joined the last couple of years, I mean, you'd think that'd be enough to supplant that. But um, I am just interested to see how the NFL numbers flatline rise fall uh in these new iterations of these drafts and for certain the sec's number which is already high up there is about to get about no eight more guys per year on average just based off those two additions so that's that's only going to get higher no no question thanks to pat smith max olson phil bennett tim brando matthew barnhill and matt flynn as well thanks to our sponsors across the board another show and tomorrow we're loaded up as well uh, Garrett Ross, I'm telling you, man, great job because I threw a lot at you when it comes to graphics and tweets and quotes, etc. And then also to Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina. Thank you, those who are not a part of the chat room but watch or listen to us every day. Let us know. I'm David Smoke. Don't forget tonight, 1030, 365 Sports Tonight on The CW. And good night. DLMRI is a small family business 